Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Excess for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutant, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today we have a triple header for you featuring the Way of X finale, followed by the first issue of Trial of Magneto, and then the second issue of Jed McKay's exciting new Moon Knight series. So Way of X is a series that's pretty near and dear to our hearts. We not just love the story, but Bob Quinn was amazing when he came out onto the show and this issue was such an important thing for so many of us so many of us are big Kurt fans and big David fans and who doesn't love watching Charles fail so this was a really exciting issue for us and we hope you guys enjoy as much as we enjoyed making it and if you like what you hear you'll probably like what you see so don't forget to check us out over on YouTube Twitter and Patreon at X's for Podcast where we post exclusive content every day hey everybody welcome back to X's for Podcast the show where we take a look at comics mutants magic and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles I'm Nico, and you guys can check me out on Instagram and Twitter at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, it's Nathan. You can find me online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Arturo. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at MrToyBox. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience just like Lawson Cortez did survive, falling from their doom while being forced to confront their emotions about one another. I like that you got there. That's what really matters. <laughs> you got there. Right Now, we are, of course, as per Jonah's amazing introduction, mentioning two of the most pivotal characters, neither of which the star of this book, are here to talk about Way of X number five. Now, in this last few weeks, we've had far too many first issues and final issues on this show for my taste. There's a little bit too much turnover happening, but the good news is this isn't the end of the Way of X saga, in as far as Cy Spurrier, Bob Quinn, and Hava Tartaglia are going to find themselves over in a one-shot evidently furthering the storyline created here. For those who haven't been following, Way of X has been the story of Legion, Nightcrawler, and a number of sort of incredible, unique, kind of random mutants, not to be offensive, coming together on Krakoa to come to understand what the definition of spiritual community is. And we talk a lot about spiritual community on this show. And I kind of want to start with, what does the X-Men's community mean to you guys? This show, we were told, is going to investigate religion, but now it clearly investigates community and spirituality in the way that the church was meant to. How do you guys feel about the X-Men as a microcosmic society existing in a macrocosmic world? So, way to phrase the question, Nico. (laughs) I think for many years, we were existing in this paradigm where it was like extinction and like the marginalized people were like now on the fringes and it was about survival and now we're in this expansive place where and I'm right there with you, too much tone turnover lately for my liking and a lot of announcements and a lot of fear in the water some hope but you know i think rightfully so some people are worried this era might be ending but let's let's put that aside very much for right now and just focus on how expansive it has been and how we went from overcoming death and and creating the resurrection protocols and establishing a nation recognized by most of the united nations anyways the life-saving drugs like all of this stuff that was happening on earth then we got into Arako 
and Ten of Swords, and we got the Sword Station. We just terraformed Mars and created Planet Araco. Like, there is so much happening that I am so glad that we're exploring different facets. And, you know, Way of X did, in my opinion, what it said on the tin, right? We knew that this was going to be a book about, you know, quote-unquote mutant religion or, or spirituality, like, just to, to put it very simply. And I think what it did best was pose more questions than answers. I think Sai and and Bob did an incredible job of bringing the story to life, pulling in, as you said, some random ass characters. And and I love that. You know, I'm glad that we didn't have, you know, not even a panel of Cyclops and Jean and Logan. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm glad that this was Kurt and a bunch of C-listers and D-listers. The king of the D-listers in Legion. So, like, you're absolutely right. David is the king of the D-listers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as soon as I said it, I was like, mm, Legion's kind of like the exception to that. Like, you know, he definitely has has a bit more love and following, specifically due to Cy Spurrier's, you know, or efforts years ago in, legacy, in, in yeah. that title, in the legacy yeah. title. So good. But yeah, I mean, I think it exploring that i think the mutant metaphor is you know imperfect and it has its limits but it's also a nice framework to go and explore other things as well like i I feel like not just mutant kind and mutant stories have expanded but the mutant metaphor and our understanding of it has expanded so now it's fun that we're exploring different things like religion and spirituality and immortality and the soul and the the spark between all things it's just exciting And I love that you brought up specifically that we're expanding the definition of mutancy because as we've expanded our understanding of the intricacies of the inner community, we've come to be able to define the larger community as a whole better. And I think that's a really beautiful, apt way to put it. Now, Nathan, you are sort of like, I feel like as much as you love solos and as much as you love characters, the characters you love are the characters that thrive in team environments. Mm. And I have to assume that for you, X-Men is family. And this idea of redefining family, just as it was for Arturo, is something that brings you to new conclusions about the X-Men. How do you feel about the current state of the X-Men sense of fraternal and sororal community? With this new expansive nation building, with, you know, as good as things are right now, everything is so precarious that, you know, if you push a moon into, I mean, if you push a moon into a planet, everything's going to come tumbling down. But like, it really, really was able to highlight how precarious everything is, how easily it could all crumble apart, even with the their familial bonds that they have like i think the characters and their bonds will always survive but the big expansive nature of what they've built is so uh, it's teetering right now so we'll, we'll have to see what they do after inferno but i think it did this book did do a good job of showcasing how important those bonds are that they all made to each other and that's why kurt was struggling so hard to build that bond or build some sort of bond between lost and quartet well and you say it's teetering right now and i think one of the really interesting things that way of x or at least the way i read it kind of posits is that this has been at least in my head canon now when if i go back to like house and powers and you know that moment when you saw xavier and he just kind of seemed a little off and there was like a little while there that people were like oh what's under the mask and in my read now it's kind of like onslaught has been there pretty Mm -hmm. much since the first resurrection in like a a creeping insidious you know subconscious kind of way and it kind of retroactively makes all these little cracks in Krakoa make a little more
more sense. It's almost like Cy Spurrier is doing with Onslaught what Chris Claremont never actually got to do with Shadow King. I know that there I were knock like everything off the table in agreement with you. Like I yes. can literally just flip the fucking table in agreement with you. Yay! Hurrah! But yeah, like this is this is you know I I I know Claremont never got to finish it but it was like that shadow king was going to be the cause of all of this stuff and it feels like xavier since the back days right and now we have that in a i think a much more poetic way here with with what's going on with onslaught because it ties back to you know the onslaught of it all in the 90s that you know didn't decimate the mutant population but certainly decimated the readership because i know (laughs) i know a bunch of us jump ship myself included you know it, it ushered in some dark days so there's almost like this meta commentary like when i first heard or saw that onslaught was going to be involved in anything i was like what the outside you're like no uh, who the hell wants yeah. to like reach for the third rail you know in the, the in, in, the, in the first act like what the fuck are we doing and hey man hats off like this this is this is great storytelling yeah the when when they revealed that why the characterizations have been off of the characters is because they're literally off because of onslaught I was like, holy shit, this is huge. And, you know, I'm so glad that you brought it back to the original Onslaught, that sort of 95, 96 burgeoning idea of, you know, and I do want to set, to be clear, Onslaught might have been in many ways a failure, but it represented a new modality in thinking, the birth of a creature born of a meta understanding of a rivalry in in philosophy and principle. This was a very 90s idea, idea becoming life and taking over. This was sort of the closest the X office was going to get to, you know, Alan Moore writing a, so- uh, a story about a slug becoming a son. You know what I mean? And one of the things that we just talked about was we remember people jumping ship. I was 10 and on my bus, we read Wizard Magazine. Like, I, I, I live in an unusual town, I guess. We had no- a couple of comic shops. Everybody played Magic the Gathering at lunch. It was a weird school. And a bunch of us had Wizard Magazines on the bus. That was a thing we talked about. Comics, even though we didn't understand who a fucking person was. But I had every wizard with an Adam Hughes cover and I remember a bunch of people being like i'm 10 and onslaught sucks right jonah you by virtue of your beautiful youth you are and don't forget that commodity (laughs) will run out one day the rest of us Uh had hair too so Uh, some of us still have hair excuse me it's so fucking fabulous (laughs) It, it might it might all be gray at this point, but it's still growing. We have a fan who literally said to me, how come everyone didn't tell me Arturo's such a looker? And I was like, watch uh, the videos, bro. Watch the fucking videos. I know who that is. Because this <laughs> is the so same thing to me. This is the same thing to me. I was like, okay. <laughs> Oh, guys, that, that makes my day. Thank you. That's very sweet. So, so Jonah, you weren't born uh, too far before Onslaught was. You and Onslaught were actually born right around the same time. Onslaught was created in the pages of Fatal Attractions. No, not the Glenn Close movie. Though, frankly, if Glenn Close became an X-Man, that would be the greatest day of my life. See my obsession with Sunset Boulevard. But, oh my God, right in the movie. So, Jonah, you came to me pretty embarrassed. You were like, I've literally never heard of Onslaught. I thought they were just being like, Armageddon, Destruction, and Onslaught. And then everybody sighed, and I didn't know why. Having seen the potentiality of Onslaught play out, and I'll be honest, one of the things I noticed is the characters kind of go, ugh, Onslaught again. They're not like, the characters aren't like, oh god, the dark god is coming. They're like, oh my god, do we have to do this? 
right? How do you, how is somebody like you who has never been in, involved in Onslaught in any considerable way dealing with the introduction, inclusion, and development of this character? So when I found out that Onslaught was an actual psychic entity and was an actual established character, I was like, oh, okay, that feels like a waste of a cool name. Because like, uh, I discovered all this afterwards when I was like, no, Onslaught is a person. And I was like, well, I like the name Onslaught, but it doesn't really fit with the, the character. And I don't really care for how it was created or anything about that. But like most X-Men on Krakoa, Onslaught's getting his own rebirth in a sense. Of They're trying to make, I think they're trying to establish Onslaught as this much larger threat in a way that makes sense and a way that feels threatening. I don't know if there is a way to not really redeem, but really establish Onslaught as an X-Men villain that should be fully feared. But I feel like that's what Sai and Bob and the rest of the creative team are trying to do. And they're trying to do this because, you know, I think it's a character that was left a little, I don't want to say left to obscurity, but when even your own characters in the universe are like, ugh, it's Onslaught, where they're not, where they're more annoyed and disgusted, maybe it's time to revamp the character and make it feel like an actual villain. And that's what I kind of feel like is going on in Way of X, where we're establishing Onslaught as this huge, threatening psychic energy that I think is really fascinating, because I don't want to call him the King of Krakoa, but the King of Krakoa Charles can't sense him and doesn't understand why everybody's being mean to one another when he himself is mean to everybody all the time. Not the I, King I need of to, Krakoa. I need to <laughs> piggyback off of something you said four different ways, because this is nobody's first Way of X. I believe we've all weighed in on the show, and so we've all actually had a couple of the same opinions and a few different ones, but there's a comparison I really want to make that, unfortunately, I'm not sure anybody on the panel but Arturo will get, but hopefully enough readers will understand where I'm going. Describing Charles as the king of Krakoa, but then re-encapsulating it as this foolish man following a dreamful notion and getting others to just play along, it breaks my heart, but it makes me think of the king of America from Sandman. Oh, and yes. It's it it makes him this sad, hollow figure running about in his crown, his his ex helmet, his crown, this th- sitting on the council, sitting in his throne, surrounded by people. He's gotten to buy his dream. But we all know, whether it's through meta-understanding of cyclical nature of publishing schedules or through the fact that they keep portenting it in the story, one day Krakoa will fall and the foolish king will sit idly on his hollow throne. And I really loved you calling him the king of Krakoa, but not wanting to. Because that really encapsulates how I feel about this book as well. Well, and it's a and it's like a good. It, it is actually really a nice way of framing it because Magne, or Magneto. God, I've got Magneto on the brain this morning. Professor X and and Magneto and Apocalypse. Like they've always been poised as these mutant leaders representing like a a path, one type of belief. Xavier's assimilationism, Magneto's you know separatism, and it's so cool how that has come completely broken well i say completely broken but at the same time magneto was right apocalypse was right like i'm literally wearing like my off the right too <laughs> yeah yeah i'm wearing my magneto shirt today as well you know i think you know in solidarity i'm here to defend magneto oh sorry we're not at the trial not yet who hasn't wanted to crush something on charles's head literally 
literally. But that's what Kurokoa has done is it, yeah, he's still in the Quiet Council and, you know, he's still a figurehead. You can't, you can't take that away from him. But what has happened right now in, in this era is like the democratization kind of, of the idea. It's not just anyone's point of view anymore. It's a council. It's, it's different opinions coming together to move mutant kind forward. And Xavier is exactly what you're saying, the, the king of America, right? Like he's, he's a man that's, that, that talks about the idea, but is not actually a king in any way anymore. Yeah. And even in council meetings, they pretty much all define refer to his to at least be the first voice so maybe he's still maybe it's just a figurehead and it's not like all that official but like he's still even in the council has a special standing uh, it's charles xavier so i'm just going to go out on a limb that charles xavier with a little little onslaught in his backpack or whatever could be like insidiously controlling every single <laughs> vote since the first council meeting you know what literally I mean? like, even putting people against himself to yep. keep him in the position he wants i wouldn't put that past charles in an instant absolutely, absolutely. i wouldn't put that past him without onslaught yep so. yep yeah right i wouldn't yeah, put it past yeah. him on a tuesday yep so. here's, here's charles making the virtuous vote oh sorry we got downvoted everybody else said no can't do it right like come on that's that's charles xavier 101 sorry guys the council said no but please like and subscribe so um, <laughs> That is really how I hear Charles these days. He literally goes around going, guys, mutants, like and subscribe, and then just walks into the next room. But we talked a lot about redemption, a lack of redemption, and a redefining of ideology and principle as it relates to mutant kind as a society. And I think nobody better exemplifies those ideas in almost, I mean, I guess it's just a true dichotomy, but it's like, it's almost a chiascuro uh, on the page, right? With Nightcrawler, who is sanctity given life, and Fabian Cortez, who is a used condom that gets to walk around in sneakers. And I cannot believe (laughs) how much I felt for Fabian fucking Cortez this issue after last issue where I've never hated him more. I've never hated him more than torturing my precious Gorgon. I mean, I obviously have too many feelings about Gorgon and that's got to stop. It's never going to go anywhere. It's never going to go anywhere. So I need to let it go. But you don't fuck with Gorgon, not after the sacrifice he made for Krakoa, not after he... Right, truly. Then you want to fuck with him all day up his butt. So I want to know, was every, no offense, Cy, Cy Spurrier does incredible things to me when he writes. He is a brilliant writer full of gorgeous ideas. But Bob Quinn's facial capture on Fabian in the sequence where he had to overpower Nightcrawler to be able to make the, the jump that would save everyone. I cannot believe how much Bob Quinn made me love Fabian Cortez via facial expression. I think all four of us have shit on Fabian Cortez on this show. How did you guys feel about Fabian Cortez being given like forgiveness from a priest in a self-sacrificial way that prevented the end of the world? Well, what can I say about Fabian Cortez that hasn't already been said and been written on the inside of Krakoan bathroom walls? For a bad, For a time, bad time, call yes. this guy. Um, 
So this is another character that I didn't really know about. And honestly, a lot of the original people before he was fired in Sword, I knew nothing about. And it was a whole brand new experience for me to learn about all of these characters in a situation where it is really cool. Because who doesn't love a good old space travel? The X-Men are very clearly no strangers to space. I mean, do we not remember Storm basically becoming one with space whales? Uh, I just want to remind everyone who wasn't a listener yet, you actually might want to go back to our coverage of those issues because (laughs) Jonah kept shouting, Akanti, you stay! Non-stop. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. solid episodes. (laughs) That's my favorite thing ever. Holy shit, that's awesome. Can you you do one now for us? Just I want to hear it. Uh, Akanti, you stay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Everything I wanted. Everything. Everything. Ashante. I think um, so- I, I think I need a little more buildup. I need like a little drag race. Like, give me a little. Kurt, you tried to find the mutant religion, but all you <laughs> okay. Hold on, wait, wait. Okay, wait. Kurt, in this <laughs> challenge, you tried to make two people heal, but did you realize the gravity of your situation? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> fracking. Beautifully done. Beautifully That's done. Not fracking, the amazing. Okay, not, the not fracking. Oh, is there fracking on Mars? Anyway, more importantly, back to Cortez. If Rue has her say. <laughs> Rupa. I don't know if I felt bad for Cortez in more so in the sense of I wanted him... There there could be people who are evil. There could be people who are not good. That allows for a lot of more interesting moments when not everybody has the same moral alignment and what is morality in and of itself. But what I really enjoyed about this is having someone have to be confronted for the bad things that they did do and their only way out of a situation is to confront those emotions and those feelings and understanding, hey, what you do is really fucked up. You can go about being this, you know, chaotic person who is all about yourself and you don't have to like anybody and you don't have to do anything for anybody, but that'll get you placed on the Hellions. I mean, look at Empath (laughs) constantly dying. Oh my god, you killed Empath, you bastard. Yeah, that's okay, he deserves it. I love killing I love okay. <laughs> but now I can't stop hearing Cyclops as Cartman. And a gag! You guys killed Empath! Like, it's awful. <laughs> I don't know if I felt bad for Cortez, but more f- so like the direction of where the character is going in the sense of if he understands from a better perspective of like, hey, you are on a mutant paradise and you don't, while well, you don't have to, again, you know, help or do whatever, you can literally just fuck off and just sit on the island. You really do need to think about how you're actions do have consequences and having to confront that i think is really important for the character i do want to say i so i mean i i'm full of praise for this book i there there's a lot i liked you know there were some i think justifiably uncomfortable you know moments throughout the series uh specifically i'm looking at loa and mercury and like and you know that that discourse that you know and and the reaction that elicited from from a lot of readers all that stuff was kind of righted uh with with this final issue i'm glad it was addressed at least i'm not you know proud to admit this but there was a part of me that really understood when legion said sometimes i treat people like things and then i'm surprised when i break them so again siceberg great job but i will say i'm glad we have lost i i am i am really really grateful to have another we have to go back another what happened no no that's that's the quote from lost we have to go back (laughs) every every time i see the name lost i go we have to go back 
And I'm, like it's it's. <laughs> I, I was I was going to drop on my knees and go, no, Zencaster, what have you done? I thought we had to go back because of something technical issue. I promise, um, if I need you to drop to your knees, it'll be for a much better reason. Oh Oof. my lord! Well, so on the next episode of Triple X is for podcast. <laughs> bonk, womp womp. Okay, no, but <laughs> why did you bonk on the horny but, tail? <laughs> but no, lost the lost of it all. I gotta say, like I was a bit distressed with the way Lost was treated in this story and in this issue. And you know, I get that these are characters, and you know, they are, they feel very real and important to us. But they are characters in stories, and with the resurrection protocols. As this whole way of X, you know, series has really pressed that point home. Death is something that happens, but it's not what it used to be, right? So, having said all that, I still find found it, you know, very uncomfortable when, like, listen, you wanna you wanna teleport Fabian Cortez into the stratosphere and and do some like drop therapy, you know, work with him, like, go for it. But what the hell has lost him to deserve that? I understand that she's mad at him justifiably so i i get it but it felt like i don't know it just didn't it didn't sit right with me and i am sure a part of that is because it is a black woman or or a woman of color you know like it just doesn't feel good and i don't know i just have to get that off my chest i mean other people have said you know have have kind of made this gripe in much more eloquent ways on twitter.com but it's something that even in you know rereading this issue for for recording today i love this story i love the cliffhanger i i love the the kurt of it all i love that we you know that he was our our narrator i love the white pages which i just always imagine as him like scribbling thoughts into like a little it looks like a bible but it's just his little notebook like i enjoyed every single bit of it but lost and the way she was treated at the end just ah didn't sit well with me but i was happy to see her resurrected in the arbor magna and i look forward to seeing more of lost in different titles she is my favorite original character from the Krakoan era, actually. Very really? far. By far. Really? Yeah, by far. By far. I'm like actually in love with her. Like, uh, she touches something that reminds me of finding people strong as a child. Ooh. There's something about her that, like, I look up to her almost for the strength they've given her. I just think she is the most fascinating thing they have done as an original new character of mutantum. Like, I'm not counting the Iraqi because they are I'm not like trying to, you know, make exceptions, but they're such a different thing. She is my favorite new mutant of the Krakoan era by far. Well, and I love that she's imperfect and she's damaged and she has a stammer. You know what I mean? It's like I'm Truly. I'm I'm thrilled yep. that we have, you know, that Tempo is getting her shine, that Frenzy's living her best life on the sword station, that Iska is unbeaten like a motherfucker and like <laughs> the queen and literally Storm is the queen of the universe. Like I love all of these things, but it's also nice to have a new character who is not this perfect goddess-like, you know, incredible being, but is non-human passing number 1 and imperfect. And and despite the bl- slate and the resurrection or whatever still has some some damage like I, I i want them to do something really cool with her and it doesn't have to be put her on a fighting team either like i'm all about you know the crocoan culture like i know you know some people were kind of like ah, oh, well you know she's kind of getting the mammy treatment my friend ash you know van the first on twitter beautiful thread about this and his you know anger with, with the law situation which really resonated with me but i don't know i'm a simple guy i kind of enjoyed when she was just like taking care of the 
babies over at the the bowery anyways more lost i love her she's awesome yeah. um so something oh if i can just add on to that for a second what i think makes the situation more uncomfortable is that kurt didn't ask lost if she was ready to forgive him and i think forgiveness is a very personal journey whether we think looking at a situation from the third perspective a person deserves forgiveness or retribution or whatever may cause it's more so up to the damaged party more than anything else mm-hmm. and i think a really good example of where i learned this where if i don't personally like it but other people might is in guardians of the galaxy volume two where peter forgives yondu and that is his own personal journey of forgiveness he's allowed to choose who he does and doesn't forgive whether or not i agree with that that's not fully up to me that's up to the character and i like when someone referred to him as this saint wagner thought about that a little bit more of saying is lost ready to forgive or to confront I think it would have made the situation feel a little bit better. I felt like there was a lack of consent asked about whether or not she was fully ready to commit to the healing process of confronting and potentially forgiving Cortez. It kind of felt like she was coerced into it, and it's not really fair treatment to her. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's probably my problem. Like, just echoing what you guys are saying, that's probably my problem with Lost story, especially in this issue, especially uh, Kurt, obviously, best intentions best intentions right best but boy. kurt kurt does what he always does where he you know at his worst kurt will try to force a moment of forgiveness whatever healing when it's not ready and you can only get lasting results when somebody's ready i do hate that lost didn't even get to lost had to be a pawn for cortez to move the moon out of orbit and just try to destroy the planet so lost totally got fridged in that moment even though thank we've got resurrections lost got fridge to be a plot point to put the whole planet in danger that was iffy that was iffy and i do like though that when you reconceptualize death now in the krakoan era that you know it is something different it's not final death it's just like oh okay cool that 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 life's over you know you're gonna start over again well i mean i think the you know fridging is a little uh, rough right, yeah. because she was she's on panel at the very least and yeah. i just want to say with a little boost from fabian cortez she brought a motherfucking moon down <laughs> like that was awesome like seeing that level of of her her potential power uh was really cool so i mean i think she kind of went out like a g and and hey listen if if we had to lose lost for a couple of hours until she got resurrected just to get that scene of kurt teleporting the moon in his little short bursts to get it back into orbit then i guess it was all worth it because that was sick it was a specifically breathtaking idea to try and execute just two months after the gala, because that's what's still really significant here. You know, when we found out that Jerry Duggan was the guy who said, do it to Mars, it made me think about how at the end of the initial X-Men Shi'ar arc, Scott asks Gladiator for ownership of a planet-sized moon of chandelars that used to be a vacation spot and gladiators like sure it's yours and it cuts to cyclops looking kind of smarmy and nothing ever came of that i have some assumptions that that might have been hickman's original plan to terraform right or to put the mutants on like that's just my guess i have nothing to back that up right but this was you know they kind of said let's do something bigger than that let's go even bigger let's go even bigger how can you go bigger than birthing sword to birthing this planet and making it perfect and these mutants that can absorb sunlight and shit out a planet or whatever 
have the person because I, you know nightcrawler is one of my favorites too but you know nightcrawler's not storm he's not right. a powerhouse having nightcrawler single-handedly in some ways i mean he actually related with lost and fabian cortez and legion like it was a lot of people but there is something so dynamic about nightcrawler putting the moon back in the sky where it goes in an act of blind faith that is so enormous that it actually does manage to be a huge thing two months after the gala. It's bizarre how incredible that was. There was a lot of sacrifice in this issue. And to that end, there is one thing that we've managed not to talk about that makes me kind of itchy. I hate Charles Xavier. I hate him more than usual. I usually hate him, but I hate him more than I usually hate him at the moment. And let me tell you why. I like Legion so much more than I've ever liked Xavier. And this is like the 10th mutant I've heard can't be resurrected or won't be resurrected. When Charles makes it clear he wouldn't resurrect David. What the actual fuck? I love this book for examining David's unbridled love for his father and his father's selfish love for him. He's Charles Xavier, and he's here to make it clear. We know you hate him, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was my favorite. I love you so much. (laughs) Isn't he great? Yeah, that was that was my my favorite part of the book is that Charles Xavier is sitting here trying to scold Legion, and Legion is just having a conversation with Kurt and not paying the slightest bit of fucking attention to Charles Xavier. I mean, yeah, like uh, I love so. the I love the Zorn bodyguard. Oh my god, That's so amazing. do I. I was worried. Yeah, you know what? And and like speaking of Zorn and Legion and a bit of what the fuckery, I didn't quite understand exactly what was going on with the seed in legion's brain and then the all of the weirdness that was happening on uh mons olympus over over on mars i don't really care i enjoyed it i i buy it whatever it was but i'm really still not clear i guess it was like david was creating like a space where he could think without possible contamination from the onslaught of it all i don't know but yes i love the zorn brothers i'm ready for a marvel legends three pack of david and the two of them uh yes please and i mean like just think like they only have to do like they could just repaint the cast for zorn so like it's easy for them jonah what were your thoughts you know nightcrawler is that's your that's your fuzzy boy that's your guy and it is so significant how connected to this character you are because it's easy to forget that Nightcrawler represents something to a lot of people. He represents a sense of hope and of excitement. No one really ever wants to see that character die, but for him to die in such a glorious way and be brought back so quickly, I also thought this played out the domino memory loss thing a little bit better than it did in X-Force, but that's just me. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Kurt and the great self-sacrifice? Well, this is the second time within the Hoxpox era that Kurt has gotten to sacrifice himself by going through a fiery death. So I'm into it. The first time was when him and who I want to consider his canonical lover of Wolverine <laughs> throwing wow. him into the sun. Yep. Uh, Logan just gets around, but that's cool. Listen, that's every cool. every time Nightcrawler dies, it breaks my heart. And I'm going back to like, what was it? Was it Messiah Complex or like the 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 final arc of that you know kind of trilogy when he gets the like nimrod fist through through the heart like every hope every is saving hope like anytime nightcrawler dies it breaks my heart i don't care that if he can be resurrected or not i I still feel it every time but i mean that's even why i asked the question because that's exactly what i mean that nightcrawler's deaths you never want to see him die even if you know he's coming right back Mm mm-hmm 
and you feel it every time. There, there's a way that like Nightcrawler is, he might not be everybody's favorite, but in a lot of ways, he is kind of the heart of, of the team. And, and, you know, the, the team being X-Men in general, and, you know, with the understanding that there are many different hearts, but Kurt is certainly one of them. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He's at least a ventricle. <laughs> I, I have a really traumatic like memory of when Kurt died during that first arc. So like anytime he dies, it, it comes back to the circuit surface, not circus. It comes back to the surface. So when when he died and the and Cyclops was like, oh, somebody should tell his sister he was dead. I was like, oh, shit, his girlfriend. I mean, but yeah, like so like I always anytime he dies, that pops in my mind. And I really don't want it to pop in my mind as much as I joke about it. Like, oh, uh, uh, we know Amanda Sefton is never far from your thoughts, my friend. OK, like she lives in a space that like she's like right next to it. Like she's like one of my angels on my shoulder. So so Jonah, tell us about Nightcrawler at this circuit party. <laughs> Um, ooh, Nightcrawler would do very well at a circuit party. I don't think Nightcrawler's really into, like, party and play, but he's very flexible, and I he's feel He's at least like a raver boy. Right, I bet, like, you know he has glow sticks, and he, like, he even holds one glow stick with his tail, just to, like, add a little more zhuzh. Oh god, yeah. Oh, you heard Light a pacifier first. or no? Kurt, Absolutely a pacifier. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Kurt but he doesn't do the... Burning Man. Yes! <laughs> And he wears very little. When he's at Burning Man, all rules are off. It's like a loincloth. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) To echo what you guys were talking about, it's, Kurt, not that you ever really want to see X-Men die, especially even if they can be resurrected. It's not fun. Kurt, I think, is a special case for a lot of people because, not to to say that (laughs) Kurt can't do wrong and that he's a sweet cinnamon roll or whatever, but he's a character that so often just wants to do good and he so wants to help. There are times when he might go about a misguided way of doing it where he doesn't fully understand like hey that's actually not the good way to do it that's not you're you're thinking of an objective good way you're not really thinking about it emotionally and i think for a lot of people it's really hard to see a character who genuinely just wants to help suffer pain Mm -hmm. and he there's a reason why i literally have him tattooed on my body and Kurt very clearly thinks, acts first, thinks lasts, and this is one of those situations where he knew exactly what he had to do. Doesn't matter if he was never coming, it wasn't a resurrection protocol. Kurt knew what he had to do to save this planet and millions of mutants, Iraqi, aliens, uh, space bringers, space princes. I, I love Jonah. Thank you for like pointing out that the first time that we saw Kurt die in this era was burning up in the sun, and here oh. we see him die freezing on on the surface of a moon so i love parallels i love little things like that i i am sure that was not uh a, just a coincidence so again props to size Spurrier for for doing the good work and making the little things that that make big impacts so one of the things that i really like is how kurt pushes back against the idea that he's one of the kindly ones so you know kurt's this incredibly complex character yes he's good at heart but he has such a fun swashbuckling side to him that i think to just purely classify him as a kindly one or you know like the mutant priest or however you want to classify him in that one aspect i think you are really not giving his character the full richness that it deserve he deserves and that he has I agree. It's reductive to try and oversimplify a character to a handful of principles, especially when principles don't make a person. A person is made of so much more. And the gradient is one of the things that I think this series, over its five issues, sought to 
expose and design and develop because guys we're on the precipice of this big one shot the return of onslaught it's going to be a big deal what do you guys expect from what is essentially the sixth issue of this miniseries I've learned to expect the unexpected. I don't know where this is all going to land. I don't know if we're going to see a physical manifestation of Onslaught. I don't know if we're going to have to kill Xavier. Maybe he'll go in Fabian Cortez's comatose body. Oh, wait. Can we just, oh agree, can we just exactly. address that real quick? Because Charles Xavier 100% telepathically lobotomized Fabian Cortez. On that, we can all agree, right? Like, that could not have been... But clear. it was Onslaught, right? It was Onslaught in control of Xavier. Right. It was Onslaught all along, baby. Yeah, of course. (laughs) It could have been Onslaught controlling Fabian, controlling Xavier. We don't know. Girl, at this point, like, it could be Xavier controlling Onslaught, and I might not bat an eyelash. I literally think that that wins the month. That literally wins the month. (laughs) Yeah. I want to give two shout-outs. One shout-out to Abigail Brand for dragging the the sword station. Holy shit, that was amazing. With her notes. Like, I love, again, I love, you know, a trick with a data page when, like, a character who is not even in the book on panel makes an impact, and Abigail Brand did that. And shout-out to the Iraqi for when the moon was coming crashing down, they just laughed and said, that all you got? Bring it. I live. I just, uh, that was wonderful. Okay. Someone, someone pointed out there is one in Iraqi mutant uh, mooning the moon. And yes. we love that site, uh, that uh, Bob, friend of the pod, Bob, has a very good time drawing <laughs> oh uh, my some very goofy moments. God, I didn't even catch yeah. that. Yeah, man. You know what? I've been giving so much praise to Seisberger through this whole episode, but not enough can be said about Bob Quinn's art. Oh my like, God, art is amazing. His and his Nightcrawler is so perfect. It is so back to basics and and like the the classic, you know, the rules of how to draw Nightcrawler, but modernized in such a cool, yes. refreshing way that just works. Like just incredible. He has killed it. He has brought it every single issue. And I can't wait to see what what he and Sai do next in, in Onslaught Revelations. I just hope I see more of Emma Frost snarkily resurrecting Charles Xavier with the Cerebro helmet. Like, that was everything. And, like, I love how they, I love how in that one, like, two-panel thing, they were able to reveal that not just Xavier and Jean, because she's the only other one we've seen use the Cerebro helmet, but any powerful side like Emma or Exodus can use the helmet. Oh, my God. Seeing Exodus, like, like, sitting on the floor wearing a Cerebro helmet, I live. That was, yeah. I live, yeah. I, I live. I love, I love the demystification of the Cerebro helmet. I love that it's just like a tool now. It's not like it's the, this holy grail that, you know, must <laughs> yeah. be protected. We love there's like five of them or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. We, we've got like uh, Amazon warehouse full. <laughs> One last thing. I want to do a, a trend alert. Trend alert. Psylocke slash Betsy's psionic butterfly is out. In is Onslaught's shoulder pads. Yeah, he seriously is Gene Smart in an episode of Designing Women on this, and I love it. I live. Yeah, absolutely. I live. I, I need to do a cosplay that is that has those shoulders, like, suspended. No, actually, somebody who actually can do cosplay needs to do that, and I'll just... 
I'll, I'll retweet you. <laughs> oh, you know what I hope we get from um, Onslaught Revelation is, like, I hope we get, like, Stacey X feeding babies to Krakoa to, like, appease Onslaught. Like, that would just be amazing. But... Wow. I love Stacey, that... and I'd be fine with her doing that. <laughs> that took Jeez. Uh, a dark turn. Uh, my last thought is, appreciate the underappreciated, and sometimes you need a really big shift in catalyst to cause a major change for the better. I'll shift your catalyst. <laughs> Why did I think you were going to say Cadillac? <laughs> hey everybody, Nico here again. Now, this next segment is our first issue's first coverage of Trial of Magneto. Everybody here has got a big old mat on for Big Daddy M, so we wanted to make sure that as many people got to talk about this issue as possible. Not to mention, in many ways, even though we've lost the brilliance of David Baldon, we have amazing new art coming in, and still the consistent voice of Leah Williams kind of following up on the things we loved about X Factor. So, this issue, a lot of different things, a lot of divisive opinions, but what we all can definitely agree is this is setting the stage for an exciting kind of cross-event status between the trial and Inferno kind of going on at the same time and we're excited and we hope you guys enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another exciting segment of X's for Podcast where we talk about mutants, marvels, and magic week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at DazzlerWayAway on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Kyle, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82, that's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And I'm Dame Red Bento, a.k.a. Raven. Hello, how do you do? Come over, find me on Twitter, Instagram, some other places. Trust me, it's going to be an interesting ride. Just come along for it. <laughs> and hey, everyone, I am Robbie, and you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Age of Polaris. Yay, and welcome back, Robbie. You were, like, on a little hiatus, and now we have you back. You're all Thank you. again. Woo-hoo! Thank you. It's, yes. it's nice to return, and I get to return on a big-ass issue i know what an issue to come Mm -hmm. back on oh my lanta so (laughs) we are talking about the first issue of the trial of magneto so like you want to talk about mutants magic and marvel this issue has them all okay so leah williams is the writer for this issue lucas warneck is the artist color artist is edgar delgado bc's clayton cowles is the letterer and then you got tom moeller on that overall design and then Valerio Shidi and Marcio Minez did were some of the color cover artists for this issue. So yes. Mm. Oh, okay. So like before we like jump into the beauty of this issue, I, I gotta ask some of you guys, what is your guys' history with that witchiest of all the witches, Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch? Um, Wanda Vision. And well, I that's that's not accurate. I mean, I I did read the very early uh, original run of X Men, so she was a villain in that. So, oh, you went back and read like the original nineteen sixties ones where everything was like coded and like sexism. So. Very, yeah, yeah. That that was actually what my first th- the first thing that I did when I got access to Marvel Unlimited. I'm not mad at that. <laughs> Uh, Raven. Uh, I oh, okay, so I read her back when she was in the Avengers and <sighs> and getting to know Vision and all that kind of stuff. That's why I'm so picky 
in particular when it comes to how Wanda is portrayed, especially in things like, you know, TV and movies, because I know her from when she was falling in love with Vision, like before she went absolutely off the rails, which is so much more understandable when you actually understand her history with Vision. So, yeah. <laughs> I would say my history is kind of like a bit <laughs> all over the place. Like, I, I believe my first introduction to her was actually through X-Men Evolution. Yeah, because she was, you know, our favorite gothic bad bitch in that show. <laughs> then, shortly after that, she was my favorite character to play in the X-Men Legends 2 game. Oh, yes. But she had a very fun play style. Because around that time, I think I might have been around like 10-ish. Oh, oh sorry. So I, 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 <laughs> Ouch, right through the heart. You, were, you had me up until then, Robbie, but now... <laughs> right, let me just get my social security. Because <laughs> at that point, you know, I didn't really read comics yet. And... Well, you couldn't reach them on the show. So <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> oh God, I was like, I was like ten when X Men Two Eighty One came out. <laughs> Fuck me. <sighs> oh God. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometime after that, I started like it was like a weird point because like when I started getting into the comics, it was like after the time period of House of M. So there was oh. a huge gap area where she really was nowhere to be found. She wasn't. I had to do like a lot of back reading and do like random issues of West Coast Avengers, mm-hmm. random issues of X-Men, and then random things she I mean, I did read a bunch of other stuff years later of hers. But yeah, my my shit's all over the fifth. Uh, my <laughs> shit's all over the fucking place. Uh, yeah, I, I I'm probably the the most Wanda completionist out of all of you guys. I my favorite era of Wanda Maximoff has to have been that wacko, the West Coast Avengers era, especially as she grew and she became the team lead towards the end of the run. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. I, I I loved after the whole White Vision saga and. And she became her own character and even during that point in time there was a beautifully done annual where she really came to accept the loss of her children at that point so like like everything that happened to her afterwards i was like but 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 mm. she had she had like cut her hair after, before then and she had that really bad wig oh, and like girl yeah, it was <laughs> i don't know why why she had a wig to have her like classic scarlet witch hair but you know whatever i probably would have done it too i really have that that kind of love and history for the character of course what editorial decided to do to her in house of m use her as a plot point device didn't really sit well with me and the characterization of the character afterwards where they really didn't seem to have her care as much and she was just kind of out there like even in x-men empire when she was trying to fix things she just like fuck shit up and then she was like oh bam i'm out of here like let me just hope nobody goes to genosha 
for three months before the bell expires but you know whatever that's why i really appreciated what leah did in this issue there was that line where she basically says everything she's done since then she's tried to fix that suffering for like that she caused for all the other characters now do you think that her intentions and what she was intending to do that makes no sense do we think that what wanda was trying to do in trying to limit and mitigate some of the suffering and death and destruction that she caused do we think that was really shown across the pages of marvel or do we think it was just kind of like haha we're just gonna pretend she's not doing it no that that i'm sorry but that was like thoughts and prayers (laughs) like (laughs) honestly that that had the equivalent the equivalent weight of thoughts and prayers like i'm gonna try i'm gonna try and mitigate the suffering are you are you really because i am really not seeing the work it is i'm gonna wave my hands thoughts and prayers it's like bitch we are not seeing this work actually going in we're not seeing a whole lot of payout on that and what she did was literally train wreck reality for like (laughs) how many realities now (laughs) but in her defense it wasn't totally her she was just used as an instrument of the destruction there was a lot of manipulation from doom oh yeah that you know uh, retconned in of course because they're like oh shit we can't ruin this character like we just did but you know it was a lot of doom's machinations which makes mm-hmm. his subsequent attempt to be a hero later like even oh. more questionable but <laughs> at least at least they attempted to you know phoenix force gene gray it so that like you know she didn't kill the whole planet of broccoli pizza <laughs> Oh, honey, you could kill that world with a big bottle of ranch dressing, so... Mmm, <laughs> nice butter sauce. Mm. <laughs> they haven't really been showing Wanda making the attempt, at least, as far as I'm aware, up to House and Powers of X. Once Empire hit and we saw the X-Men tie-in for that, that's really, as far as I'm aware, the first time that she's really made an attempt to walk things back Mm. so i mean it's it's nice to see that she is showing regret in this new era and that she's trying to make make up for the problems that she caused but i hesitate to accept that it's been on her mind since the beginning like i agree it's nice to see that she's showing that regret of what happened in the past but it's really unfortunate because it's sort of like she can't really do much to change her past the only thing she could do is well if she comes back after this event um <laughs> the only thing I she could she do yeah probably more than likely i think but, she's um, been teased in another in a upcoming book so yeah oh, okay i mean i think at this but, issue they pretty much tease like she's not dead <laughs> yeah yeah right it's one of those things where it's like instead of her trying to focus so much on undoing the past she should focus more on what she could do for mutants in the future going forward. Agreed. If they'll let her. <laughs> they'll let her. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. When you, when you have a, a community that has been affected like this, mm-hmm. it's very hard to redeem oneself in their eyes. 
So yeah. yeah, I while I am I have been rooting for Wanda's redemption for quite a while. I struggle to see how it will happen across the entire Krakoan society. Yeah. She agreed. she would literally have to shut down her father and Charles Xavier's. Yeah. Like she'd she'd literally have to go, I'm so sorry that they're being total dickles, completely shut them down, and then literally just put her hands up and walk away because she keeps trying to fix things and fucking them up more which is a (laughs) problem Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so they're just like stop trying to fix shit you're making it worse you're literally (laughs) making it freaking worse just stop like i felt a modicum of of pity when i read this which is something more than i felt before for her because you know right i was like oh girl no you know you you messed up bad in in this i'm just like okay you just need to stop trying to fix things because you're piling one uh injustice on top of another and it's just it's making your case so much worse so yeah. just stop trying to fix things so do we think the tone of this book so do we think it's like to me it reads like an extra special issue of x factor right so it's mm. like you can tell that the that the stakes are ramped up to the extreme do we think that they have done which i do personally i think she's done a great job of elevating it to an event level status but where are you guys at with that do you guys think that this level has sufficiently been ramped up to an event level status I, I think I wish there was just a t- touch more lead in, but dang, if they did not kick this off with an absolute bang. So I'm like, I, I guess there could have been a little bit more stretching, a little bit more warm up, but oh, I'm so okay with this. I mean, yeah, you, you're seeing a big fracture in the, in the Quiet Council as part of this, which, I, I mean, we're going from Magneto being good guy to Magneto being everybody's punching bag. Dude, he tried to murder his own freaking Yes, he did. Yes, he did. calling her a crazy bitch. Like- yes, he did. And he deserves. He deserves. Yeah, yeah. It took me a second. To, to, <laughs> but yes, yes, I do. I do completely agree with you. And he deserves it. I mean, yeah. This this is a huge shift in the way that Krakoa is going to be responding to Magneto. And I can see this also as yet another crack that leads us into Inferno. Agreed. I think it's starting off with a really good job. I really liked their choice of having uh, the cast of X Factor along with the main X-Men team. I love that too. Yeah, because yeah. it really brings together like when this is taking place. Like because it immediately after the gala, so it's it's really nice to see them continuing to show how important the new role of the main X Men team is playing. Yeah, I I really like that because you know even in their own series, we've really only seen them as a force outside of Krakoa, right? They they they've stayed they've positioned themselves as the you know heroic face for the rest of the world, but it is really nice to see that even in Krakoa, they are taking 
taking such a strong vested interest in this huge event. With Lorna being there, she acts as the bridge between the two groups. So it's it's not like they're kind of struggling between the two groups. They're able to work in tandem because she's a part of both. Yeah, it was great to see both X-Factor and X-Force and X-Men. Like, yes. you got to see a bunch of the different books, honestly, be tied together, which was nice because you got to see it as how, like, the different branches of, like, government or society kind of interact with each other. So you have your, uh, I hate to call them the police force, but you you have governing force that, you know, makes the laws and decisions and whatnot. And then you have um, the group that actually does, like, the research and, and you know, does the autopsies and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And, like, you actually get to see some interaction instead of thinking of them um, as more compartmentalized. You get to see them actually work together like an actual society. And it's so good. It's so good. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to get to see more of these where you actually do get to see the interaction between the different, you know, factions or, or groups of mutants in their different jobs. Because you literally get to see Rachel and Dokken kind of doing some questions um, along with North Star, who's like, hmm, so X-Force was here and you were doing security, right, when somebody was murdered. Mm, like, you know, North Star being, well, North Star. <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved getting to see everybody kind of work together. It gave even more of a cohesive picture of what Krakoa is. I loved it. I loved, I loved North Star's use of air quotes in that line, <laughs> where he's like, X-Force was working. <laughs> yes. Security here. I was like, if any of you guys were defenders it was like almost as amazing as galactus's mom's air quotes that she used at the end of it which was like <laughs> epic but like it was just so perfect and so obviously leah knows how to write the x x factor characters and i don't know how she did it but she actually made me like sean paul bouvier john paul bouvier like that sanctimonious dick like i like him now he's so i don't like him but he was really well portrayed he was <laughs> in that scene in investigating the death. Do we think the fact that there were things that were obscured from Rachel's chrono skimming bodes for a different sort of attacker than we would have normally expected? Like, if it was Magneto himself, don't you think she would have been able to totally see that whole event transpire? 100%. It's not just Rachel who is being obscured. It was Dokken as well. He wasn't able to sniff out the attacker. He only was able to smell Wanda, so... You'd think that he'd be able to, he or Logan would be able to pick out Magneto's scent. And I would say, like, whoever this person is that murdered her, clearly they must be aware of, like, X-Factor and what they could pick up on. Oh, absolutely. One thing I do want to point out, too, which I thought was a really interesting is the art how like different it looks when she's like chrono scanning for wanda that looked a lot like the artwork from children's crusade when she made her return oh. not sure if that's a reference but it looks almost identical <laughs> to like the coloring to that at least oh i can see that actually 
I am totally good with everybody shading Exodus for just like the rest of the hour. <laughs> so like, you know, like what does he do? Honestly, other than sit there like some emo prick. Like, really, what does he do? He tells the children stories about how Wanda is scary and like, yeah. So foreshadowing. Like, literally, like he's got the biggest hate boner for Wanda. Like, and okay, fine. You know, I get it. She did some bad things but like he just won't let it go <laughs> so that brings us to the perfect opportunity to chat a little bit about that council meeting so we've got the council meeting uh, uh, <laughs> i guess you have some thoughts favorite. huh that was one of my favorite council meetings of almost all times right? <laughs> like yes oh. Watching watching a helmet almost get crushed onto Charles Xavier's head. (laughs) Yeah, that was he does deserve it. Oh wow! Yeah, I I could have I could have seen him go a little further. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I did like Kate being kick ass too. Oh my god! Yeah. Yes. He's like, I'm gonna solidify my hand in your head, and you're gonna be dead, Buster. I'm gonna peel your brainstem right out of your spine cord like a twizzler i'm like oh Oh, yes oh that was so good no that 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 council meeting was actually really kind of awesome to see because you did get a lot of um like you got to see each person and kind of some of the wheels and mechanisms that go on and oh you could tell that mystique is just just eating this up with a dessert (laughs) spoon (laughs) like talk about the cat swallowed the canary like it's so good Mm -hmm. so good a hundred percent (laughs) yes i I feel like she's just over there like hmm you want us to bring back wanda but you didn't even bring my fucking wife back like you get your janky ass daughter when i get my fucking wife yeah that was totally a spite vote right there like even oh yeah yeah So, the several questions arise from this, but like my most pressing one was is do do you feel the way that the council vote went? Was it a shock to you? Were there any votes that you were kind of like, "Oh, okay." Like to me, it was Storm. I would have almost thought Storm would have voted yes to resurrect Wanda, but mm. I get That's I get thing. as the leader of the mutant people in the solar system, I I think in that role she would not be able to vote yes but what about the rest of you guys i disagree with that specifically because she has been depowered in the past and the amount Mm. of depression that it put her into she was one of the few people who was not affected by the decimation so she understands how this affected the mutant society. And I don't see her as being one of the ones to give Wanda a pass. Okay, fair, fair. I like that reasoning. Yeah, it's the same for me. Storm is not a person who does something out of spite, per se. She doesn't look at the short game. She looks 
at the very long and far-reaching consequences of actions. And I I think she has some, some really good evidence as to why she should not bring back Scarlet Witch. And I think that's what she's going with because she's seen what happens and how fucked up it can get, especially when you have somebody who has both mutant powers and magical powers. That can be a really messed up combination right there. So I don't think she's I don't think she's making the decision lightly, but I also don't think she would make the decision to bring Wanda back given everything that has been happening. Yeah, I agree. And also she doesn't really have that emotional connection to Wanda that mm, like other characters might have. So she, I feel like she has a very unbiased vote mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, I think it's a fair vote from her point of view. Fair. And only three people and only three people voted yes, and I'm assuming the three people were Kate, Hurt, and I'm assuming Magneto voted yes to have her resurrected. I love that they addressed that. I know they said that Wanda and Pietro were two of the only people to do it. I wonder if Franklin also has three row backups as well, or mm. if they got erased once, you know, he was revealed not to be a mutant but if you think about it then if they did resurrect wanda they would resurrect a wanda that was coming from probably the uncanny the uncanny echoes era right before Axis. so you would have several years gone past since wanda has been resurrected although in marvel time i don't know is that like six months or something who knows marvel right maybe a year <laughs> like you know that that's why it's so hard to tell how old characters are you would have a character that has had several real life years that have gone since they would have had the memories for and you're going to be missing a lot of their experience for that. Uh, I do think it's a fascinating idea though and I know that was the fan theory that Wanda was going to be resurrected through mutant resurrection as a mutant again I sort of like that they didn't go, that Leah didn't go that route with it because it would be too expected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But man, that that whole council meeting is like the best, most explosive council meeting I've ever seen. I think my favorite line in the whole thing is when Storm says, "You forget yourself. You are not the most powerful mutant in the room anymore." I was like, mm-hmm. "That was amazing." I was like, "Storm didn't get a lot to do in this issue, but that <laughs> line right there, I made it worth it." entry price i love how she can tell somebody to literally eat a beach worth of dicks <laughs> like <laughs> the most polite way just mm, you seem to have forgotten you're not the most like powerful person in this room between let's see charles and yes he has a dickhead but <laughs> he can still do a lot myself like she like she's so right like he is a not only not the strongest mutant in that room he's not that strong mutant on the island right and that means of course with the amount of, of of exceedingly strong mutants that they have there of course they have all the resources of basically an army at their fingertips they're just she's just reminding him of that and he is being oh man is he being a white man just so <laughs> so old white male oh i yep. haven't gotten my way let me throw a tantrum like jesus Tell me I'm wrong. Not at all. The, you know, final half of the book, there's a lot of setting up, obviously, for things that are going to come in the future. One of my favorite things, though, is the full out action sequence where the X-Men confront Magneto, whom they think is Wanda's killer, and take them, take him on. Like, just the, just seeing both Logan and Laura in a battle together against Magneto oh, with yeah. the kin. Oh, 
and the way oh. they actually used Inch in a way that is so perfect and so like I'm just so glad to see Everett back but oh my god yes and Lorna having a really powerful moment in there where you know yeah Eric does try to kill his daughter again oh my god like she is the redheaded stepchild or the green headed stepchild whatever <laughs> <laughs> oh my god she could just she cannot win she that can. does he try to kill her he does it while literally tearing apart every fucked up aspect of her past and blaming her for it like bitch what the f- like i have more respect for jean gray after the glare she gave magneto like who in the f- like <laughs> bitch this is your daughter and none of that shit did she go through willingly on her own like what the hell is your prop <laughs> just ooh. oh man he he deserved that ass whipping something fierce yeah i, I loved how he, what magneto did was unforgivable in his whole speech to her but i love how leah has built the character up from where she was before so mm-hmm. that believably lorna was able to take the brunt of everything that magneto said and turn it around on him especially by asking how how many dead wives and daughters do you leave in your will? Oh, right? Oh, that was such a powerful moment. Oh, Lorna so went in for the kill, and I'm proud of her. Oh, Me hell too. yeah! And that's oh my god, big yes! For... I need to know your thoughts on all oh. of this, Robbie. <laughs> right? Um, Go for it. So overall, I would say Leah's writing overall has really made the character grown so much. And she's also matured. Not only do we have a better idea of Lorna's personality, but she's definitely a character that, you know, we don't see her getting intimidated by anyone anymore. And this interaction was a really smart buildup of where she was from, like, the first issue of X Factor to now, especially with the callback of him mentioning that conversation that they have at the end of, I think, the first issue. And I love it. Like, not only is this bitch looking stunning while going through it emotionally. Treat yourself. But yeah, so like, I, I do have to know, Robbie, what do you think of it? You, so you love the new costume then? Oh, I you're like a res- it a lot. You're the resident Polaris. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Like, I kind of get why some people might like the all green and everything, but I sometimes all green's a little too much. So it's nice mm. that they kind of like <laughs> toned it down a little bit and did half black and half green. <laughs> right, give it some visuals. Mm. And it's got some good shades, right? Speaking of it's, shades. <laughs> it's still all green, but at least there's a lot more variance in color. Mm-hmm. And I was boots. pleasantly surprised she didn't go into battle with her coffee and sunglasses on her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I laughed so hard at that, because that literally looked like, bitch, I just rolled out of bed and I have a fucking hangover. <laughs> Fine, I will get my latte, but I am not taking off the sunglasses, because fuck that noise. Yeah. <laughs> 
And one thing too that I want to add is it's been a really, really long time since she's appeared in I think anything with Quicksilver and Wanda. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. shit, was it House of M? That was the last time all three of those kids were together? Yeah, she got some screen time, obviously, in All New X Factor by Pad, because mm. Quicksilver showed up in one of those issues, but yeah. So, even though it's under unfortunate circumstances, I do really like that we get to see a family storyline that actually includes Polaris. I love the fact that they use Polaris to call out Magneto because while Wanda was off Magneto's favorite, she was very cowed by him. Like, he had a lot of control over her and he broke her down a lot, just mentally. But he treated Polaris even worse. Like, talk about the kid you always look to to kick first. Like, he was a complete asshole. I mean, he broke her down on even more levels, I feel, than he did uh, Wanda. And he always treated her like absolute trash. So for her to call him out, and she was dead right on it, for her to call him out on all of his bullshit, like, that was her reclaiming so much of her power and herself after everything he's done. It was so delicious. It was, mm, uh, I like, I, I have a whole new respect for Polaris. I always did respect the character, but I respect her even more now because of how hard she went in because she really needed to. And then um, I also do want to say um, you can see a lot of growth in these panels if you compare like her being upset now back then mm. to that one wedding issue. Where oh no! <laughs> Never bring that, <laughs> that up. That hot ass mess. But but that's a good mm. like example to compare though because that was like bad. Um, that was mm, real iffy writing yeah hot dumpster fire you mean you also gotta consider that was also a time period where the character was very like lonely true and in this issue even though she's upset she has the whole team around her and supporting her too mm-hmm. yeah. and so she's come so long in like building away more connections mm-hmm. compared to like back then which yeah sure she had some friends but we didn't really i don't know now she's actually found her found family <laughs> yeah 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 so lorna had a great moment to shine and then pietro comes in so like yep that Pietro comes in like Pietro can. <laughs> he came in like a really, really fast wrecking ball, like Roadrunner, <laughs> lightning shit. Okay, but anyway, so like he came in like Roadrunner's wrecking ball. So like with Pietro near complete takedown, like he could have killed Magneto. Like were mm-hmm. we expecting- why didn't they stop him? Of anybody, like of it, like even more than Lorna, of anybody who deserves to fucking annihilate Magneto, Petro. Mm-hmm. Like, why did they stuff him? <laughs> Although, I do have to say, I did really appreciate that panel of Jean-Paul hugging him up in the air. And, like, I know I shouldn't have been thinking of him, but, like, his ass in that he picture was, was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's now, a runner, so... Now I yeah. understand what Crystal saw. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, and I hate to sexualize such a touching moment, but I was just like, damn, this cake there. But like, right. Having North Star, who was very, very similar in personality to Quicksilver, be the one to console him because he would know how much pain losing a twin sister would bring. Oh my God. I didn't realize how much they were alike. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> until I'm like saying this mm-hmm. right now. Like, they're both, they're both assholes. They're both like speedsters. They both have twin sisters. Like, mm-hmm. it's like North Star can fly, and like if he touches Aurora, shoot lights. That sounds really bad. Okay, anyway, but uh, <laughs> otherwise, look, they didn't always good. think this shit through. Okay. <laughs> no. Oh my yeah. god, there are so many parallels because Aurora died at the beginning of the. Se- That's right. Yes. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so he knows the pain of losing his sister and like having to try to figure out what happened. And you know, like he knew that she would come back because she's a mutant, but like mm-hmm. like he has been through all of this ten issues before. True. Yeah. Uh poor North Silver. I mean <laughs> Jean Paul Maximoff, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Dude, I think Zeus has dragged less dick than Magneto. Like, what the shit? Oh, God, you're right. He's he's gone through so many children and wives and holy hell. Yeah, just like that, that, what Lorna like spouted back at him, I was like, holy shit. Especially, it's especially deep if you consider, so, okay, so if anybody knows who Zaladane is. Does anybody know who Zaladane is? Yeah. Okay. Name is yes. super familiar. So Zaladane was basically right the leader of the Savage Land later on. So Zaladane was only able to switch powers with Lorna, as Moira put it, because you guys really had to be close in genetic structure like sister. So Zaladane then more or less more likely was Magneto's daughter. And Magneto actually straight up killed her to save a girl he was lusting after Rogue. So like there's there's so many layers to Magneto just being an asshole. (laughs) Like it's just it's perfect. And I love seeing this brought to light because I do love the I do love the turn that Magneto's taking. I do love seeing him as you know Magnet Zaddy, you know, naked under his waterfall in the house of M House. But like, also, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be addressed and deal with. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's why a lot of the cuts that came from different characters here they cut deeper because they're all so exceedingly true and they're not just things that happened in the last few months they are things that have happened throughout the what nine or ten realities now spanning back god how many years now so yeah it's like it's like the entirety of his character is being called into question and it's it's very valid because these are all points that people have had and said over the years but you know not too many people brought that particular point up yeah (laughs) i get why it was so important for the mutants to have to save magneto from dying from quicksilver because you never know where the cerebral backups are going to come into play Mm. personally i loved the little nod to we all know gene is the more powerful telepath but it's always been indicated that emma is the more skilled telepath right Mm -hmm. so i love the little nod to gene saying okay i'm really gonna need emma's help 
that. That mm-hmm. was just so perfect to me. And you know, Emma would just love nothing more to go into Magneto's mind and just fuck shit up. <laughs> oh, yeah. The quintessential cat knocking glasses off of tables. That's all I have. Oh, look, some childhood trauma. <laughs> some unresolved mommy issues. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But, like, you know, instead of knocking him off the table, she's, like, dragging him back up to the surface. <laughs> <laughs> Mixing a cocktail with it and just da, 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 pour that on the floor. <laughs> like, God damn, man, I love you, but Jesus. So that was one of my little favorite nods. Were there any other little favorite nods that any of y'all had with this issue? I'm seeing the section where Wanda's body has been absorbed by Kirkoa and Tommy and Kyle get caught as kind of like a similar instance as what happened to Rogue during Excalibur when she got pulled into that coffin of flowers and Krakoa suddenly starts growing Wanda's favorite flowers as a result. Oh, that is a good point. So it's almost like Koa absorbed her in to some level. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, he is a, a giant mutant that uh, absorbs psychic energy. So I can absolutely understand how Krakoa would be able to read things like, you know, favorite foods or, or favorite flowers or, you know, something to that effect. But actually, my favorite nod is when Pietro goes to the Green Lagoon and you see Mastermind and Toad, Quicksilver and Blob, Love all that. there together. Mm-hmm. The nod to the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants was it was so beautiful and honestly to me it showed that the villains, the quote unquote villains, have more humanity and more reverence for what's happened to a fallen companion than a lot of the X-Men do because they know that they're going to get resurrected at any point in time mm-hmm. but you know the Brotherhood recognizes the the wrong that Wanda has done but it didn't change the fact that they still very much loved her as family. That was truly a beautiful scene because Mm -hmm. it still shows that there are definitely people who still love her Mm -hmm. and she's not just a character that every mutant hates yeah yeah so i hope going forward we get to see more of those cute connections Yeah, no, that was oh, everything about that brotherhood scene was it was it's so beautiful there, and even just how with so few words they were able to convey the such deep meaning. So mm-hmm. it's only what two pages, right? But like mm-hmm. just with the heavy weight of emotion of it, it feels mm-hmm. like like ten pages in itself. There's just such a richness to the art and the writing because you know that that takes a really skilled team to be able to set that up and convey that emotion. Mm-hmm. I also I also really love seeing blob actually be drawn a little bit more true to his bigger form because i've been kind of yes. like drawing him like a little skinnier lately so i was mm-hmm. like yes like give me some big boy blob but like mm-hmm. everything about that was perfect. Uh, just uh, another thing i thought of i did love personally the representatives from the avengers that they called together because <laughs> like you know yeah tony stark uh, he doesn't really have much to do with wanda except oh well, no he does with course work in west coast avengers but yeah no no he was totally her jailer in the movies. I mean, come on. 
<laughs> you know, having Captain America, they had a little like, well, they won't they thing kind of for a while in uh, Avengers run right after Heroes Warn. And Wanda was always a good friend to Jan, except for when Jan was mean during Disassembled, which is really out of character for Jan. You have Vision, who obviously has this deep, ongoing connection, and they haven't been married for quite a while, but people will mm-hmm. never let that go. <laughs> mm. You know, it's sort of like the sort of like if Jean Grey and Cyclops lit up, people would always put them together. Right. Oh, what? I don't think people like. Okay, so in the movies, this is again, this is personal gripe. This is not reflection of the show as a whole. Blah 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 blah. blah. But in the TV and the movies, you don't really get a sense for how long Vision and Wanda spent time together and how much emotional trauma they worked through together. And if if you don't know the exceedingly long and complicated history of that, you, you don't necessarily get the depth of this story. Vision isn't mourning the loss of his wife or his ex-wife. Vision is absolutely mourning the loss of a friend who helped him really recognize what his identity was, who he was as a sentient being, and somebody who he helped through so many hard and messed up things. And I think, quite honestly, Vision felt very responsible for Wanda and for helping to keep her on the right path. And I feel like he honestly felt like he failed her in a lot of ways when she went off the rails when she you know did house of m uh when when all of this happened i think he really felt in many ways as if he had failed his friend so to watch him like break down at the krakoan gates i'm like oh god oh oh the good friend oh like they're like it i felt his pain because i know what he had been through i love you talking about their relationship in that way because Without Wanda's love and support at the time, like Vision would have never, like you said, he would have never realized what he was capable of being as a person. And yeah, maybe their time for their relationship has moved on. He's always going to have that love and respect for her mm-hmm. from what she, what he was able to accomplish because of her support and her belief in him at times. Mm-hmm. I love that. This was, a, this was an, honestly, this was such an amazing issue, both mm-hmm. art-wise and history-wise and, and the dialogue. It, it was all just done really, really beautifully. Oh, absolutely. Like, I was like, oh, we don't have David Baldion. And I love David Baldion's style. But mm. this this style really did sort of elevate it to make it different than X Factor in general. And to make mm-hmm. it more of an event. Because if you had continued with David Baldion, which I was really like, oh, why isn't David Baldion on this? <sighs> right. It would have felt mm-hmm. too much like a continuation of X Factor and not its own event. So I get why they did that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, but yay. But no, but yay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I'm sorry. I love David Baldion so much. He is just an absolute master with with facial emotions. Because sometimes it's really hard to get emotions through when you when you're just looking at a picture or a static panel. But oh my god, he's so good at it. So I was like, oh, I, I hope they can pull off the the range of emotion and like the small, like little body positionings and just the little things that give you 
so much subtext. They did so good at that. Oh, I was gotcha. so happy with it. Yeah, Luke, Lucas Warnick is like definitely earned his earned his place in my oh. heart from this issue alone. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, this is some very high level stuff. Like, if, looking at some of the expressions, like, like my favorite facial expression has to be Raven in the council meeting yes. when yes. she's sitting there oh. and she's like, you know, she's basically like, oh, I think you did it, but like just that look in her raised eyebrow. Oh, everything is so perfect about that. Mm-hmm. Emma's look of disgust when they're talking about Wanda. Like, just <laughs> like everything is so spot on. And definitely, mm-hmm. I love how they keep pairing Leah with these artists who do these great facial expressions because oh God, yes. I think some of her work would be lost if you didn't have that. I think mm-hmm. it's very important mm-hmm. to Leah's work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, Leah's work is, is unique because it's so word heavy. Yeah. And I love I love things that are a little bit more word heavy, so that's me. But because it's so word heavy, you do need some subtext. So yeah, you have to have uh, an artist that can really capture the feel of of what she's trying to put across. And they did so good with it. And you know what? Also, let's give a shout out to the letterer because <gasps> the yes. lettering, lettering, it's so subtle. You almost kind of relegate it to the background. But lettering plays such a beautiful and key role as to how you take in the scene. And they had all three so well done we get a actual glimpse as to you know part of what happened when she died we see a lot of flower themes which is great with Rakoa but just that last page of her you know with the red scarlet flowers flowing out of her her hair and her cape just perfect and you know her caption is I died and yet I know that I'm not dead like holy shit that kind of that that just got to me and this issue was already an amazing issue and they already gave us clues that Wanda wasn't dead she was going to come back so mm-hmm. so we know we knew when she wasn't she's supposed to be in the dark hold event so we knew she wasn't going to stay dead yeah but I just thought the way that this was done I'm really excited to see how she officially rejoins the land of the living since the mutant resurrection is off the table but just the this panel this page especially as the last ending point was a really amazing way to bring it home just the colors and the way that that the flowers were worked into everything as a result of this supernatural murder. The way that everything is focused around the flowers and us seeing her her body being absorbed by Krakoa, I do think that Krakoa itself is going to be a part of her resurrection. Part of me is wondering if that will result in a shift in the way that the mutants respond to her, if they see that that. Krakoa, the the thing that's pretty much giving them life, gains her worthy of being resurrected. Yeah, respect the sacred land, and she would be coming from the sacred land itself, so. Yeah. Quite honestly, this ending, like, art-wise, it's truly one of the most beautiful things I've seen in a minute. Mm -hmm. And with all the flower imagery, and, like, to go on what you said about Krakoa, I really do think that this is Krakoa accepting her as a mutant, and because I also did feel 
that the Krakoan gates grew those flowers after she died. Like, I really don't think it was something she created when walking through. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. But and, speaking of her walking through, she did it unaccompanied and without one of the flowers. That oh, is yeah. true. She did walk right through it. So she. Yes, but she. But I thought she got an invite from Magneto. Right, but she would have needed flower. one of the flowers. Maybe she had the flower like hidden in her bra or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's an them, island. Though. Right, but it's also an island, so she could have flown in, <laughs> as it were, like like a couple of the others did. But of course, we're also we're also uh, uh, treating it as if Wanda Maximoff that showed up to dance with Magneto was was that. Yeah, that's true. That. that is I was true. Just thinking yeah. that because oh, yeah, that Wanda didn't have the flower, point. but she died minutes before that. That's so. right. You're right. You're right. I just kind of <laughs> ruined my own argument. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought the same thing. I thought the same thing. But no, no. Wow. Trust me. I was like, oh yeah. Oh wait, no, no. Wait. Mm, mm. <laughs> Maybe that's just a further cog in that theory because yeah, that Wanda did not have any flower. I mean, yeah, like I said, she gets stuffed in her bra, but like that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Also, I wonder this place where she's at, like mentally or soulfully or whatever. I wonder if she's gonna try to reach out to Billy. Because oh. they keep mentioning that Billy doesn't know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Although in Guardians of the Galaxy, Billy mentioned that he does feel that something is amiss on Krakoa. So he probably has some inkling, but he doesn't know. It's nice that it's not predictable. Like sometimes there's just like, you know, story arcs that you're like, I kind of know where they're going to go. And it's still enjoyable to read, you know, because it's, it's written well and whatnot. But you're like, oh, okay, no, I figured this is it. This one, I'm, I'm scratching my head a little bit more and I'm having to like piece it together a little bit more. And I, I, I like that. I kind of like that they're making me sort of work for it because it's not, it doesn't feel convoluted. It just feels like, oh yeah, there are a lot of really good and salient options. I can't just, yeah. oh yeah, this is this person. Oh yeah, 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 you know, totally knew it from the beginning. Like, this one you actually have to, like, figure it out, think it through, like, really walk around it. And even then, it's not necessarily going to come to fruition that your posit was correct. So I like that. Love it. I know one of the things I'm taking away from this is having heard Leah talk about what she wants for the series. She wants it to be a series of healing for the mutants and for Wanda, which mm -hmm. really fits so well into her X-Factor theme. So I'm, I'm just expecting whatever surprises I'm going to get out of this i'm expecting you know in the end everybody's going to come out a little bit better mm, definitely i definitely hope so now uh, i do I, I i have something to i love this flower panel because not only is it uh the her favorite flowers but it's also roses roses are a flower of death but i'm also seeing you know like each of these flowers that i'm seeing it's death it's memory they've got one that kind of reminds me of lilies which are you know kind of used as the bridge between life and death in a lot of symbolism and representation so i'm just like oh wow hmm. so yeah i'm just like they they have a lot of interesting subtext in the flowers alone mm. so i'm just like i i love i love the fact that they're using this combination of flowers because i'm like so basically you have you have love you 
have death, you have memory, you have the bridge between, you know, all in the flower symbolism. And if you look at where the wound is, it's like on her stomach slash into into her lower area. So basically the area of, of life and production. So it's almost as if they've opened up her womb. <laughs> I know that seems a little bit deep, but... No, I... I, I noticed that myself i was like oh that's that looks like there it's she had had her womb attacked right right (laughs) and it's and that's that's a center of creation and i mean if you think of how much chaos she's created but also how many beautiful and wonderful things she has created Mm -hmm. i think she's at 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 that crux point now to you know where does she proceed from there does she create something new and wonderful and beautiful or does she create something that is disastrous wow i love it (laughs) i can't wait to see what comes out of this right and what is up with that very very last page where am i yeah, and like some of the arrows look like trees. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm like, oh. I need okay. answers like yesterday. Right? <laughs> this, this, that very last page read like something out of like House of Leaves to me, and I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck, I need this. Like, oh my god. Right. <laughs> Right, I'm just like, is that is that is this Richter? Is, did she, was she able to reach out across time and space to her other children? Like, like what's going on? Who, where's she gonna wake up? Is this? Are we gonna get to see Big Daddy A and his family? Like, what's gonna go on? I love oh, it. Oh, I kind of want to see Big Daddy A and his family, but I don't want right. to. I don't want to go into that tangent. But like, <laughs> right? You're like, I, I don't want to disturb him while he's on vacation. But, but, <laughs> right? Oh, I love it. I love. It, I love it. I love it. All right. Any final thoughts on anything on this issue? Yay, Lorna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me more Pietro's cake. <laughs> right. <laughs> More cake and more Lorna. Thank you. Oh my god. More cake and coffee. (laughs) Cake and coffee and sunglasses on top. (laughs) Oh my god. She is forever my mood now. Like (laughs) I saw that I'm like, I've never related harder. Thank you. Because that would be my ass showing up at a battle like us. You would. I love you, but you you would show up to a battle like that. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time. Now, we loved the first issue of Moon Knight, and while I didn't find myself on the coverage of the second issue, it's clear the team is loving where the story is going. I am as well, not that I was on the issue, but this is such an exciting book, and Jed McKay and the art team are coming together to paint a unique version of Moon Knight, who's had so many defining iterations in the last several runs, that it's almost hard to find new methods to examine the character, but I think they're doing an amazing job. Guys, as always, we love making this show for you week after week, at least twice a week. So if you guys like what you hear and you like what you see, don't forget to subscribe over on Twitter at X's for Podcast, as well as on YouTube and Patreon. As always, I'm Nico. You guys can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on social media. And until next time, guys, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Enjoy this last segment, and we'll see you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcasts, where we talk about mutants, magic, and all the marvels. I'm Rob. 
Live. You can find me at Rod, the on all the Twitters and all of the Instagrams that exist in the world. Hey guys, I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at DrewSeeper3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R-3. Hi, why don't you find me on Twitter at LostInQuico? Hi, I'm Steve, and you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can follow me on the tweeters at DazzlerAOA and Instagram too. Nice. Now that we have know that everyone is here today, we're talking about <laughs> Moon Knight issue two. It is written by Jed McKay. Artist is Alessandro Capaccio. Color artist is Rochelle Rosenberg. And letter is VCs Corey Petit. And I believe I said all those names right. And if I didn't, please correct me, our studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> now. I forget who I recorded Moon Knight with before, so that's bad on me. Me, 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 me. Nathan, and then not Steve, not... I'm I recorded too. Not Drew. You were there. Not Steve. Steve. <laughs> Just got on the midnight train to Moon Knight. Steve, so as the only new person, apparently, to Moon Knight on this recording... We don't know how you feel about Moon Knight, so please tell us your experience with this wonderful character. Well, I love this story so far. I have never read a full run of Moon Knight before. I've been looking at the one that Marvel Unlimited is constantly pushing at you uh, for a bit. (laughs) But the thing is that I have dipped my toes into a couple of previous runs, and it has not been to my satisfaction all the time. So it's, it's become one of those runs where I always think is like, this could be really good or this could be really bad. And it's hard for me to know which is which, so I often wait until later to find out. Um, I really enjoyed Moon Knight during appearances with the Avengers back in the 90s and early 2000s. I, that was uh, the time when I was a kid, and so I would see this incredibly cool-looking figure and was like, oh, man, I gotta find out more about this guy, but then I never did. But I do know quite a bit about him from the Marvel Wiki from the last few years, just browsing through that. Otherwise, I'm completely here for the story. I can't believe I never read more of Moonlight if it's anything like this. Oh my god, did you read that amazing? Like, did you read him in West Coast Avengers? That was so awesome. Like, I have read a few appearances and it's extremely cool. I have never read that in West Coast Avengers, so I i didn't even know he was in West Coast Avengers. That's bad on me. Like, yeah, well, he's in the book, right? Like, but not like on the team. Like, yeah, I remember when he showed yeah, up, he was with, just cameo with the heroes, uh, return lineup with Kirk Music, and it was just like he's just there, mm-hmm. you know, in the crowd. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, I'm glad that, you know, you're kind of on the same level of a lot of us besides like Nathan and I think Drew. Um, I think everyone, like the rest of us are kind of like fresh with Moon Knight and this is kind of like our first big experience with him. So I'm happy about that. Mm -hmm. And last time we were with Moon Knight with the first issue, I feel like it started off with a really big bang Jed McKay does. I mean, he usually does that with his first issues because a lot of people, even with his Black Cat series, a lot of people knew about the character, but didn't know that much about the character. And I feel like it's the same thing with Moon Knight. And I feel like he's making it his own. Because even when we interviewed him, he was like, you don't need to read any of the past stories to get this story. Which well, I thought was good. certainly seems like that. The first issue really drew me in in a way that other Marvel books often don't. I, you, I see Marvel fans all the time talk about, like, why is there so many werewolves? Why are there vampires? <laughs> Silly. No mummies. No rat people. And so I'm not one of those people in any way. <laughs> I've been I've been a little tired of the Wolverine vampire plot, but that's just because of how it's been handled. Like, honestly, I love it. I th- so, yeah, yeah I, issue one was like, all right, this is my Moon Knight. Absolutely. I, I think, though, that the whole vampire thing, it's all based in, like, context and stuff. You know, like, we don't know Wolverine as, like, a vampire hunter kind of a thing. 
whereas like Moon Knight is in that realm. Like, he, well, like sometimes, but you know what I mean. Not like not like Moon Knight. You know what I mean? Where he does it way more than Wolverine. Sure. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I just mean, or... it seems to be a segment of people who are just like, why would Blade be in the Marvel universe? Why would Dracula be in the Marvel universe? And I'm like, well, they're very important parts of the universe. But yeah, that's yeah. what I like, Why Thor is in the Marvel universe? It's just, it's just this. And the X Men hang out with them. Dracula. That just happens. It happens a lot. Well, I don't yeah. know if they like hang out with Dracula. Well, <laughs> Like, be violent and antagonistic. <laughs> like he like has this like weird like l- obsession with Storm. He doesn't yeah. though. I mean, everyone in the eighties is obsessed with Storm. So. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That also may have been a different Dracula. I don't know why this guy looks so uncool compared <laughs> to that Dracula, but he does. He's like Madonna. He's a, like a master of reinvention. So. <laughs> He's oh, on his I'm, reinvention uh, tour. So. This is his old and terrible looking era. <laughs> I was gonna like make Madonna. that joke with Madonna, but then I was like, "Oh no!" Oh, I did not mean that me. about Madonna. Oh, never mind. Just Dracula. Would no, I mean, okay, it? like for for like a mid sixties woman, like whoo, like yeah, mm-hmm. she looks good. I mean, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, but you're, what I'll I want to give Madonna is her respect. He's Dracula. <laughs> Wait, he's like a million years old. He was drawn in the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I I gotta agree. I do love the vampires in this story more than in other stories because I feel like they fit more. Yeah, you know, they I fit in an episode. Like they story. fit in in any place where there's like a bar full of Frankenstein's monsters to fight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, speaking of vampires, Reese is his new assistant, which I'm glad that they like gave him like a not a normal assistant, like person that's like kind of torturous, trying to find themselves just like he is, with all his personalities. <laughs> so I want to say drew what do you think about reese like her transition in this story so far um i liked her a lot i actually thought it was funny like uh, when we first see her on like in this book um on what like and she's like just drinking her blood like it's a juice box you know she's got like a straw i heard <laughs> that and using like the the tube as like a straw <laughs> i thought that was funny <laughs> again it is kind of like a, a classic trope kind of in like vampire literature of her story in this issue of kind of trying to like you're a good vampire but you're surrounded by like this thing that you want but you can't have but it's like in your like quote-unquote nature to have so you're kind of trying to like control your urges and stuff yeah okay, that dinner so. scene was amazing though when like like they like he's just sitting there casually eating like chinese takeout and she's like yeah <laughs> like, sippy sawing her like juice box of blood that was like everything i loved it it was amazing yeah. all of Sandro Capuccio really knows how to draw a set of fangs. Yes. Like I love oh, it. I, when she's licking her fangs at the blood, like man, this is this is cool artwork. Really, yeah. Yeah. every minute on the page, I really enjoyed the art throughout both of these books. I've never, yeah. I don't know if I've ever read a Capuccio comic before or looked at their art, but this is just unbelievable. So cool. I know in in the last episode we talked about the art and like the whiteness of Moon Knight's costume and like how it almost has it does actually have like a glow to it and I love how it's continuing through this issue and probably the entire run it's like it just looks so freaking good on the page. Yeah, I want to yeah. shout out like uh, we we see many pages, especially like around the climax of the issue where there's like a vision, right? And and Moon Knight's just like gigantic and a double page spread. And there's like a greenish, tealish glow that's incredible. And, and it really contrasts with the black 
music darkness and i think that yeah that's the one okay yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. my favorite scene yeah that, like the teal it's just it looks really good and i also have to say props to rachel Ros- rosenberg for skin tones i said it last issue but i'm continuing to say the skin tones are really good in this comic which we know it's a problem with marvel but marauders this comic I mean, so far mm, doesn't right. have it <laughs> no, no but i like you should we should congratulate that until i mean it, we shouldn't yeah it's yeah like, until it, like it shouldn't have to anymore you know like until it doesn't become a problem anymore every time we see that it's done well we're like oh thank you yeah. keep doing this correctly <laughs> i almost don't understand why like marvel doesn't have a catalog where it's like so and so and then this number like color number is their skin tone yeah, it's just number. like yeah. yeah and then that's like yes. what they use for like that it's like an artist reference page for skin tones like it's i don't know it just seems simple to me i feel like that would also make the artist's job easier because then they wouldn't have to guess because i know with my fiance whenever he's like trying to draw characters and he's like, has to keep Googling them and being like, you know, what is their actual skin tone? Because so many artists use so many different textures or skin, like colors for people's skin tone. And it's like, even like Monet, her <laughs> skin tone yeah. changes Ooh. so much. Is she dark? Is she light? What is she? Is she caramel? It changes like every book. I don't get that. The, the lack of that kind of standardization does make it seem as if Marvel does not care enough about that to get it right, because it seems like it would be kind of easy to do. Yeah, I mean, Ooh. they don't ca- they don't care enough because at this point, a lot of the people of color characters, except for like maybe Miles, aren't like the hugest sellers. And maybe Kamala Khan, but they're like still very new. So like all the other characters like Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, all those white guys, they're all the same white. <laughs> so they don't have to worry about it. And they're the, like technically the biggest sellers. So they're like, eh. You know, that this conversation kind of reminds me of one of the things I'm very worried about with this book is how we have a character so steeped in Egyptian tradition that's not written by or with consultation with anybody who is from Egyptian descent. Like, I, I obviously am not from that ethnicity and background, so I can't tell. I haven't noticed anything egregious, but, you know, there's, there's always a slippery slope with these kind of things. And and like it's definitely a concern I have with this book. Although like the action I've seen is amazing and I love it, but like you know that's kind of always in the back of my mind. I'm glad that you brought that up, Nathan, because uh, also one my greatest uh, concern going into this book or any Moon Knight book is the treatment of people with DID or multiple personality disorder or pluralistic existence. Um, it's always a concern with Moon Knight, genuinely. Yeah, and I think Moon Knight has a problem that he's so like intersect because Mark Spector, I mean, he's Jewish, yep. doing an Egyptian superhero, with, and he's he has DID, so yep. it's like a lot of things that could go wrong. So far, none of them haven't been an issue, but hopefully they never come up as an issue. I, I do feel a lot better about the mental illness angle comparatively. The race one is still one that we'll have yet to see play out. Um, culture, ethnicity, religion still yet to hang in the balance but the mental illness at the very least feels a lot better because of this issue specifically making such a clear distinction explicitly between oh i have mental illness but also my brain has been cratered by the fingertips of a god you know it's been deformed and it's unimaginable because comics are notoriously bad with anything like did how they've presented like legion 
Moon Knight, Aurora, etc. in the past. Yeah, they, they've comics have gotten a lot better with their presentation lately, but it's always one of those concerns. Yeah, I feel like they're definitely getting better. I haven't really seen that much misrepresentation with mental disorders in comic books recently. Definitely not as egregious. <laughs> not as egregious, no. Yeah. And I feel like they, like in this book, like we kind of discussed on the first episode of this first issue, they're not using it as like a crutch for him anymore. It's just part of him, you know, but it's not holding him back. It's just, it's just something that he is. You know, it's not like it's stopping him from being who he is. Um, I want to bring that conversation to Reese. There was a very important part for me in the beginning of the issue where, like, the guy that's hurt goes into the midnight mission and Reese says, oh, I know where he lives. I know his family. Like, I know his nickname. And I think those little touches are making us feel like Moon Knight actually lives in, like, it's like a neighborhood watch of yeah. a specific part of New York. And it makes the comic field lived in. Like, it's a real place with real people. And I hope that we continue to have more of those relationships really like a, in the in the future. It's almost yeah. like Daredevil, kind of like it's like an aspect of Daredevil in that way. Yeah, um, I was thinking of Daredevil or Spider Man. Yeah, and like, Hell's, like Daredevil like, and Hell's Kitchen, you know, Spider Man, Manhattan, and like everyone knows what everyone is, and and I think that's it makes it feel more real that Moon Knight is actually protecting these people because they are real people to him, not just like a oh, person from Apartment Twenty One B. Like he's actually <laughs> marked from Apartment Twenty One B, you know, and, right. and that makes it feel more lived in yeah no i definitely agree i feel like i like when writers do more round earth city heroes or villains or just characters in general because then we do get scenes like this like jed mckay i think that's what he's done the most because he did daughters of the dragon and then he did black cat i think he's written some spider-man like he's really good at drawing these like city bound characters and getting like the little details right because i feel like that's what makes their stories because that's what they're here for they're here for the people so if you don't have the people then what's the point of the book (laughs) i kind of like bringing moon knight back to that street level hero too especially after i love the avengers arc it was crazy it was like it was crazy it was camp it was superhero it was epic but that's that scale of an arc is not what moon knight's typically known for right so (laughs) yeah the one with moon knight (laughs) yeah yeah not like stealing the phoenix (laughs) burying thor in a pile of planets sorry moon right Yeah, it makes no sense. But whatever. honestly, that was very funny. But it was <laughs> oh, it was amazing. But <laughs> me a little out of the moon night of it all. But <laughs> yeah, it really did. It was kind of like even though it was written well and also written by Jason Aaron, I think it was a yeah, tie-in. Jason Aaron. Yeah. Was... No, but I'm saying um, what I'm going to reference to. But yes, that was. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's Jason Aaron. That's Jason sure. Aaron. <laughs> no, but yeah, Avengers is definitely Jason Aaron. But when uh, Daredevil had like the. Um, What's that sword that teleport anywhere on Asgardian? Oh, yeah, yeah, from War of the Realms. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like that, but a little more toned down, I guess. It's like, oh, this is neat for Daredevil, but it's not Daredevil. That was neat for Daredevil. That was. (laughs) That was like the best Daredevil story in a long, long time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He looked really cool, but that was like, let's go back down to ground level. (laughs) 
Although I do like, love this Daredevil story now where it's Elektra as Daredevil, but <laughs> yeah, no, oh, yeah, that's, that's far better, yeah. but I'm just, yeah, that's the Matt Murdock story that yeah. was like <laughs> the best in years at the time it came out. True. I think it was right before Chip or right when Chip just started. Can't yeah, it might have been before. I don't know. But yeah. It was in the, after the soul run. Mm. Yeah. After, like Daredevil was supposed to die or something. I mean, yeah, which died. actually that's got written by Jed run, McKay. Which was written oh, by Jed, yeah. yeah. Like the yeah. death of Daredevil yeah. or whatever. I think that was like his first bigger thing that he did that wasn't just like a one shot besides Dart of the Dragon, which was straight to digital. So mm. wow. So yeah. can we talk about the villain of this issue? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> the villain the spitter. Well I mean uh, like, yeah what else are we gonna call sweater? it? The sweater? Ugh. Oh yeah it is. He served the water supply with his sweat. Gross. Uh, yeah, oh, so gross. Real gross. A bit very disgusting. It reminded me of reading jessica jones like the early jessica jones with purple man like when he was controlling everyone and getting her to fight people like this innocent and like she couldn't hurt them it's the same concept like he was controlling these people and everything except it was grosser because yeah i was like even purple man's not that gross (laughs) Uh, i mean okay how about this i'll go with the same power sweat even persuasion isn't that gross because purple man's disgusting but like yeah purple girl not as yeah you know, there's a lot of true. picking of teeth and drooling on objects in this issue to be honest is, <laughs> but i like the part where moon knight mr knight i should say licks his like battering <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like a toad you know like it's it's very much like all right let's trip together you and me villain and see what's up yeah, like it's like what do you call those? Are they like moon rings or like moon stars? Like, does he throw them and go like moon tiara activate or like? <laughs> okay, so did y'all see that Twitter fan made art of Moon Knight as Moon Knight Guardian or something like that today? Yeah, it was like yeah, Moon Knight but a Sailor Guardian. Mm, no, I missed that. Mm, no, I did I not miss that one. I'm posting it in the Discord right now. Oh, <laughs> I just got it sent. I just got it sent to me, like right, like a couple. It's right here. So, listeners, go scour the internet. Probably Twitter is the best. Go find this fan art. I don't know who made it. Sorry, I can't advertise for you, but it was absolutely amazing. And is that was what I want? I need a what if one shot if Moon Knight. Was oh, yeah, I just, <laughs> oh, that is so I'm just amazing. <laughs> That is really good. Oh my god, I love the little tigre in the background. That is so fucking cool. Okay. Alright, so I will find out who the artist is, and when we post this episode, I'll post it below. That way, the listeners can see what we're talking about. Good. It's adorable. (laughs) And so cute. Oh my god. Sailor Moon Knight. It's Sailor Moon Knight. It's really good. It's Moon Knight Sailor Moon. But yes, I really like the, the sweater. <laughs> the sweater. I, I really like how Moon Knight beat the sweater. Or yes, like it felt very like original because it was not a fight. It was more like a contest of wills, and obviously Moon Knight won. But it was very interesting, and I thought it was very cool to see how Mark is like compartmentalizing his personalities in little Egyptian coffins inside his mind right after that two-page spread. And it, it was very interesting to see that we have uh, Jake Lockley, who is um, locked up. We have Stephen Grant, who is locked up. Mark Spector, who is like controlling it. And there was um, that sweater was put into an empty, like an empty coffin, which at first when I read it, I didn't notice it was the same coffin. So I thought it was referencing the Lemire run of like the Space Knight Moon Knight, who was also Mark Spector, but 
like a, a space night. So this make, makes me think: Is Moon Knight trapping the sweater inside his mind? Yeah, that's kind of like, like taking. That's what it looked like. It's very that's, that's how like legion of him. How legion yeah, of him? New power. Right? It is a new yeah, power. I think... I think that he showed him what it's like to be in his mind. It feels a lot like the Hulk's mindscape, you know, where the Hulk goes through a series of alters, and it feels like he was like, "This is what it's like to be me, entombed within myself." Sorry, the way you said that, I like in my head popped in like, "I wanna know what love is like." I want you to show me. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it's like I'm random. Whatever. That's what I kind of wanted with uh, Mr. Knight. I was, I don't know about y'all, but when he was licking his throwing star, I found that kind of hot. Yeah, and then the moment you really want him to show you what love is. And then when he like dominates the sweater and with his god mind, <laughs> I was like, "Dominates the sweater." Oh man, I I don't know. I liked it a lot. Would you, would you, <laughs> would you all mind I if I read out on the air the Moon Knight Psalm that he does in oh, this? Oh, oh absolutely! I found you got to like do a voice too. Mine is the cold fire of the moon. Mine is the tidal pole on the salt blood beating through your heart. Mine is the silver madness that illuminates but does not warm. Come and worship. My brain is moon-silvered, lunatic, cratered with a god's fingerprints. The deep structures of my mind have been irreversibly changed by communion with an ultra-terrestrial intelligence. This is my poisoned ground. This is my temple. But I take my weaknesses and turn them to my advantage. I take my scars and make of them my weapons. So I wanted to talk about that final word because it's a Hebrew word. Yes. And since it was very interesting yesterday when we talked about symbology in, in the Torah of Magneto. So I did some research for this one. Thank you. And it said, I asked around, it said Selah. And it's, it's like, it's not an exact translation, but it's the Hebrew for forever. And other uh, definitions could be to meditate on something or like to let something like sink deep into oneself, something like that. Mm. And like we should take this a moment to reflect on like Moon Knight's speech or psalm. And it's also a way that it was used in the Old Testament to represent uh, like breaks in psalms. Like a psalm would end, like a paragraph, sorry, another paragraph or something like that. It's very interesting that Jerry used that, like to emphasize the point of like Moon Knight is now not fixed, but he, he uses his mind as a temple and as a weapon. So let that sink in, and that was great. So that's what I wanted to say. Thank you so much, Wancho. Thank Perfect. you. I love that you did the research and yeah. gave us knowledge. Thank you so much for that. And because I did one, not know that this one has of been my our daily sermon. <laughs> one know. of my favorite shooting parts. star of all of this is during like when he's saying this psalm um he's like he kind of has like a little bit of a costume redesign yes kind of yes and no it's like it looks very like evil kind of moon knight and it's very like pointy especially like his his cowl um and his claws and yeah and he has like claws instead of just like gloves um do you think it's it's, evil or awe-inspired well kind of Mm, both i think he's supposed to be like threatening Threatening for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, I'm not, yeah, I'm not getting to the point that like he's, he's turning evil or anything, but um, I just kind of liked that redesign and how it looked, you know, based like comparing it to like the original costume. I think it looks very eldritch and frightening in the way that maybe an ultra terrestrial thing would for sure. Um, I agree. It is, it is something to be astonished by. Yeah. And I, like the cape, like it looked like it had a life of its own and like tentacles, very Lovecraftian. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. All of them. Like the teal moon was just makes it even better, more sinister, mm-hmm. but cooler. Yes. Yeah. It was like a symbiote cape. 
Yeah. I've always I felt like I've always felt like God is somebody you're supposed to be scared of, whether or not you like believe in him. I personally don't believe in this God in this you. book, for example. <laughs> yeah. Um but like I, I I've always felt that a God is kind of like somebody that to be afraid of, whether or not that's healthy. <laughs> that yeah. was just like the very was... old testament. But yeah. I've also always thought that to me it's like a like a tiny like it's almost like an ant looking at a human being, you know, kind of like this small yeah. this small thing that is like basically in the grand scheme of the universe nothing talking to the creator which you know is like this huge like that's just something huge you know? so god yeah. is galactus i love yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> well god kind of was like... galactus when galactus first showed up <laughs> yeah true i feel like it has to do with um a level of respect that has to do with someone whoever is in charge or a creator, you know? Like, I don't think a, a ruler or anyone like that level has to be feared, but there has to be a level of a fear. Like, you have to be afraid not to step out of line, like a certain laws. Like, you know right. consequences are going to happen. Yeah, it's a, for me, it's like a fear and, like, you're, it's fear but also respect at the same time, right? I was saying, like, for me, the fear is not, like, a fear that should be or a fear that is commanded or a fear that is deserved. It's a fear of what you cannot understand like incomprehensibility mm -hmm. is inherently terrifying whenever i think about terrifying gods beyond my comprehension i literally always think of babylon 5 uh, i don't know if oh. any of you ever saw that but jakar has this great conversation once where he's just like oh you want to go fight this alien you want to go talk to this alien this thing that is beyond us this other dimensional thing and you don't even understand like you know they, they walk around here missing the ants at their feet right like they're just it's so incredibly above you that you know you're nothing you're nothing to them and you know you might get stepped on and god's i think like the, god's like the aliens from bird box if you view him you're gonna just like yeah i feel like moon knight's trying to be like that too though like this is his first time really passing judgment yeah. on the people that are terrorizing his town like he's like he knew he wasn't going to come out of this when he went to his mind. He didn't have to go like say all of that because the guy was the only one that was hearing it. And then he was comatose after he did this for the effect of everything, you know, kind of for himself just to like show that he can have this godhood that he's kind of been granted or like daily stole. Like he's filling himself in this kind of religious aspect that he's being this figure in this religious way and he's coming into his own. And this was like the first like real big passive judgment that he's given so far. I think it sets up a lot of future conflict with Hunter's Moon, who we see at the end of the issue. Because Hunter's Moon, like if Mark is the right hand of Khonshu, of the right fist, then um, Hunter's Moon is like the left fist, right? So there, it makes sense that they're going to come into conflict, like very strong conflict. And it would be very interesting to see if if we ever see like the mindscape of Hunter's Moon, if it's all white, it's just him being like the black and sinister looking giant Eldritch monster. Uh, visually, that's going to be a very interesting uh, fight whenever they do fight, because they're going to fight. We know that. I'm yeah, interested it's... to know how Hunter's Moon interacts with Kanchu, because as we've seen, obviously, the DID is not related to yeah, that, that was Kanchu, before. but it's interrelated in how Mr. Knight's mind works, Moon Knight's mind works. So, like, I wonder how I wonder how Hunter's Moon interacts in his mind with Kanchu, uh, whether it's different, because he probably doesn't have multiple sarcophagi. 
but he will have uh, the craters. Like Moonnet mentioned, he has craters in his brain. Yes. I mean, that makes sense that he will have them. Uh, but it would be very interesting to see how, how more the philosophical differences, more than like, like the powers difference work out. Yeah. And I'm very uh, interested to see, especially because Hunter's Moon, I think he's Egyptian. He's not like American or Jewish. Or maybe it was the specified. Is, is Hunter's Moon a new character, for, by the way? New uh, character. Yeah, he seems yeah. completely yeah, fresh. He's, he's completely new. He's really cool looking. <laughs> yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up about the looks is it's funny how they're like like you said Wancho being kind of a foils in a way of the left and right fist and even like their their symbols kind of reflect that too how Moon Knight has like the crescent moon on his forehead oh, yeah. and Hunter's, Hunter's moon. moon has like the full moon that's kind of I love I love I love all of this it's very you know I, I don't know what inspired what but it seems very much like Mark Spector is a Bajor kind of stuff like he's like it's the Bajoran prophets from Star Trek Deep Space Nine like you know you've got like <laughs> will you stop I will just go out with you you don't have to <laughs> <laughs> I I like the point that you um <laughs> that you pointed out, Drew. Like he has the crescent moon and the full moon because Mark Spector, he like, you know, believes in his religion but is making it his own because he doesn't believe in the actual God anymore. And then Hunter's Moon is like full devotion. So he's like got the full moon. So it's a metaphor in itself and it shows that like, you know, one's doing it their own way and like waxing on and waxing off or however you call that moon. I don't know. <laughs> No moon phases. It's close enough. I like wax on, wax off. That's awesome. <laughs> That's what he's doing. He knows martial arts. So he, he did yeah. that. Maybe watch Karate Kid. I don't know. But, <laughs> but it definitely fits that like Hunter's Moon is like he's full in and that full moon shows it's like he is like doing whatever the god wants or think that he wants. Because yeah. as we know, the god is in prison on Asgard. Don't really know how that works. I don't know. Well, let me ask this. It's Marvel science. Does it really have to make sense? It doesn't. It really doesn't. Don't don't worry about it. It really doesn't have to make sense. And that's why I love comic books. But let me ask this. Do you think Hunter's Moon, after he like takes down Moon Knight, because that's his main goal, do you think he'll somehow try to go free the god from Asgard? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would hope so. I hope they have a team up. We can get Crescent Moon. We can get Hunter's Moon. We can get New Moon. We can get Three Wolf Moon. All of them together. Sailor Moon. Yes, Sailor I know. Moon. So they're oh, the Sailor Moon. Guardians. <laughs> Chibi Uta, like. Yeah, and also something that we have to consider is that there's another villain that we haven't even met. There is, I mean, right? We saw him, who is that? We saw him in the last issue. Yeah. We have no clue who it is. It's probably something, someone from Mark's past. That's what I think. I don't know who. Tigra. But the sweater was influenced by by him or her or them. Yes. So, yeah, I agree. So it's going to be interesting because in the last issue, that person, well, they were looking out at Moon Knight. They said that they wanted to destroy or break Moon Knight's faith more than kill him. And the sweater, that's what it says in one of the issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Wasn't that Hunter's? I movie? had a totally different no, read on that. I thought not, that was Hunter Moon. Wants to like, test his faith. It's not. It's not Hunter's Moon. It's another person. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's another person. I thought that was Hunter's Moon for real. I that was Hunter's Moon too. Hunter's Moon yeah, has a diametrically uh, opposed objective, and I like that. Okay, Hunter's it's Moon a heat. Face and and it says, <laughs> "Let me see where I read it." It says that he brought me in to help him hurt you and break you. Is how he put it. So it's a heat. It's a. Per- it's a man and. Uh-huh. 
it's like a continuation like the real mystery is who this person is that wants to break mark more than kill him like break his faith or break well, yeah his i thought it was hunter's moon that brought in the, the sweater i thought that's what he's referring to was hunter's moon that hired or brought on the sweater guy Right? There's, there's, a, another there's another person. guy who shows up in this issue. That in the first in issue. Last, sorry, we don't see him in this issue. First issue. Yeah. We saw him in the last issue. Like he's looking out from a window with a telescope or something. Out the like the blinds. Oh, okay. But we don't know who it is. Oh, cool. I'm glad that we have like multiple aspects that Moon Knight is going to have to go against. Because I feel like with this new godhood power and him not being able to basically die, he needs more powerful villains. Yeah. You know, like he needs more than just a person that's going to just send these like second rate sweating bad guys at him. <laughs> like we need something more. <laughs> okay. But you can send a whole bunch of hot sweaty men at me anytime. And I'll be okay. Well, not, that guy was not hot though. No. No. Yeah. Uh, okay. Not but, you know, everybody's got their own beauty. Everybody's got their own beauty. Okay, Rod. Like, yeah. let's not hate on, let's not hate okay. on the sweater. Okay. Okay. Go look at this guy. Hey, this guy probably had a glorious ponytail before time took it from him, all right? (laughs) That's fine. Everyone has their yums. I don't want to yuck anyone's yums. Someone could have saw this character in the comics. I don't want him either. Like, that's my dream guy. Maybe. I don't like that. Hey, we all, there's somebody for everybody. There's something for everybody. You're right. I'm wrong. All bodies are good bodies. Even sweaty bodies. All bodies are good bodies. Even sweaty well, not the mind control sweaty bodies. That's not yeah. Well, okay, yeah. That's we draw the li- we draw the line at the psychedelic sweat. But like, I like like psychedelic sweat, but not mind controlly. That's a little too Starbucks for me. <laughs> it's a really oh, fine God. line that we right. draw. Really fine line. <laughs> In the sand. Don't mind control me. That's all <laughs> <until Yeah>. I ask. <laughs> like like let me lick you and get you high that's fine but like don't control my mind yeah no i'm i'm right there with you that's the end that's the bleeding edge so mark says when he goes back to the mission he sees freeze and and this new guy named terry who i think it's the first time we've seen him he's from the first issue Oh yeah, yeah, he did. He was. He was in the first issue. And they have like a little talk at the end where Reese doesn't expect Mark to understand what's happening to her, but he says that he do he does because his both his DID and whatever Concho did to him fundamentally changed him. I mean that's why he has craters in his mind. And uh, he was rebuilt as a weapon. So weapons are meant to destroy things, but he says that now he's trying. Uh, to preserve rather than destroy. And I think it was very ominous how we see, just when he says that, we see Hunter's Moon for the first time in the issue. So, I mean, it's not like super deep or anything, but it's if Mark's mission is to preserve like the people around the mission, then if Hunter's Moon, Moon's mission is to destroy Mark or just make him reconsider, eventually he's going to have to take out some people in the mi- around the mission. And that's going to make, make them go into conflict. Yeah, I hope he doesn't kill Reese because I don't want... No, another... Reese is my favorite character. You I can't know. Reese. And I also don't want like another woman of color to be killed on the panel on, on the guy. Yeah, I don't think Reese is going to die. Uh, no, not um, in a book that's appropriating so many other things. I know, like, let's, let's keep those few people of color we have, especially women. But I think she might get, like, kidnapped or something. You know, she's going to be used in some way because she's in Moon's Eye's life and he's the main character. We do know that the, the one person wants to destroy and break Mark's faith because he thinks he has too much of it and it's, it's not right. Yeah. Hunter's Moon specifically thinks he does not have enough faith. He wants to test him. And uh, yeah, it's... He wants to make him a better person oh. for Kanchu oh. because he doesn't think he's good enough. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so 
like Hunter Smith is a, a fundamentalist, like a religious fundamentalist. Yeah, Marx totally. is like a, not, I'm not gonna say agnostic, but sorta. He's non-practicing. So, he, so Hunter, <laughs> uh, he's last. He's last. Trying to make him commit to the faith. I mean, Mark's a guy who's religious but doesn't like his God. I think a lot of us can relate generally. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, Mark has, has had two gods to believe in, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He chose to make yeah. his own version instead of following. I mean, what, what his family gave him and what country gave him and that's very that's that what makes him so interesting but it also makes him easy to like nathan said to misappropriate something but hopefully we don't see that coming coming anytime soon forever please <laughs> yeah never i think never, never. is pretty good about that so i don't think we're gonna see it hopefully yeah but any last thoughts on moon knight issue two the glorious boogaloo very exciting. Really exciting to see the next issue with, uh, it looks like Hunter Moon on the cover in full glory in action. Excited to see that come out. Yeah, it's like Hunter. Every, every time we say his name, the Sailor Moon theme pops in my head. Like, and I'm like, ooh, Hunter <laughs> Moon. But anyway. That's our theme song. Like, whoever edits it just needs to yeah, can we get the rights? a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Copyrighted right now. 